Hello. 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 We are live. We're live. You know, I forgot to mention, I'm going to start the, start the show with this. Forgot to mention last week for my birthday, I got my first pair of Birkenstocks. Wait a minute. Are those the, is that the, with the blue? No, it's black. Oh, okay. Black, Cause I got, I got some new ones too. I was like, uh Oh, we got the same. We'll gotta be brothers and shoe brothers. It's too much. I'm officially a, a country country hippie now. You're a bumpkin, Eli. Yeah. Dude, um, I'll catch you doing hacky sack in the quad. Can you hack? Can you hack with a dude? You can't not hack with Birkenstocks, man. You're supposed to skip oh, homeroom, smoke pot, and hack. Are you wearing Birkenstocks in high school? Were you wearing Birkenstocks in high school? Uh, no, but the hippies were hacking in the quad. And you know what was like fashion back then was like you put your like glass bowl like in like a you got to make a pouch. And then like that will like dangle from your from your hemp rope uh, belt. And like these kids, they're smoking weed all day and they stink like weed. And then the pipes like hang dangling there. And that thing smells like resin. So, you know, between the dreads and the hockey socks and the, uh, the Birkenstocks. Brad. Dirty hippies, man. I'm in one of them. Well, I'm one of them now. Well, at least I got a haircut. So I'm not like, yeah, not, dude, like so too you, dirty of a hippie. You're like gentleman on top, but you're like stoner from the ankle down now, man. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're here. We're here. It's schmoozing with Soul Clap. Um, we are schmoozing. I'm Eli. I'm here in upstate New York. Yep. And I am Charlie down here in... Miami, Florida. And our guest today is none other than Philly's finest, Rich Medina. We are so excited. Look, I mean, we've had really great guests on this show so far, and we'll continue to. This is no doubt. And we've had wonderful conversations. But this is a guest that I have no doubt in my mind is just going to be an amazing and captivating conversation. Um, it's so fun to hang with Rich and just listen the way he speaks and thinks is so poetic. he's like a poet he's like yeah, a poet in the way sure. he talks the, only, the, the other person that i that he reminds me of is like is george clinton right we've gotten to spend some oh, time really? hanging out with george <laughs> and it's like george is always speaking in these in these like in this rhymes in this prose you know catchphrases <laughs> and like rich always always comes up with that stuff too which is oh. really yeah looking forward to having him on the show High praise, Eli. High praise. <laughs> um, oh, so yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, we're not gonna, we're not going back to normal until until uh, there's actually real change. We've talked about every week. Talked about Black Lives Matter. Talked about racial justice, social justice. Talked about defunding the police, and talked about a lot of different political things. And you know, until we really see real change. Um, in the United States. I think we're not going to play our, our intro. We're not going to do our sound effects. We're going to keep doing inspiring backgrounds. You can't really see behind us now, but this is from the rally. The, uh, there it is. There it is. Up in front. Yeah. Shout out, good. uh, shout out our producer, Johnny, his friend actually took this with a drone. Yeah. Um, That's from the pride, really pride, black lives matter March this last weekend in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, hopefully y'all have... Oh, the photographer is Adam Hahn. Um, shout out. Shout out. Shout so out. yeah, I mean, we're going to continue dealing with these issues, talking about how it affects affects our, our industry, dance music, electronic music. Yep. Things Amen. we can do to make an impact and, and make change. Um, 
because I've been seeing this great meme going around. Just because your feed has gone back to normal doesn't mean black lives don't matter or black lives still do matter, you know? So let's, let's keep that in mind and, and keep pushing this. Yes, please. Keep opening our minds and becoming more activists. Um, and yeah, with that in mind, let's, let's get started with our little intro, intro news. Charlie, what'd you find this week? Oh, well, are we, are we talking about, are we going to go right into this, the Sasha Baron Cohen bit? No, we're no, we're start with that. No, see, I already blew it. I blew my first opportunity for a transition. So I apologize, Eli. No, we're talking about what's going on uh, it, with tracks records. Yes. Um, it seems as though, I mean, we spoke about this like, oh, well, let's see. No, first we were talking about with Eclipse. I mean, this I is like a well-known fact that like tracks records out of Chicago, it's like, uh, you know, one of the, the foundation house labels from track uh, from Chicago in the 80s. I mean, there were many labels, DJ International to, to name another, but this is not the only one. Dance Mania. Was, Dance Mania. This was this was a very important one. I had like, to, you know, seminal records like uh, Jamie Principal, Frankie Knuckles, Baby Wants to Ride. Um, Finger Zinc. No, no Way Back, Finger Zinc. Um, but, you know, it was, it is common knowledge that, uh, you know, these artists were getting ripped off. And, yeah, no. Basically, uh, they were they pressing were the numbers. Yeah, they were pressing way more records than they said they were. They were licensing yes. to compilations in Europe, all over the world, without giving yes. artists any royalties. And uh, the label owner, who I'm, uh, you know, in a way, I guess, was a visionary, signing all these artists or, or identifying that there was a trend and there was a movement going on, and that you know someone should be putting this music out. And and the- you know, I forget his name, but he was a Jew. He died this year or a few years ago. Uh, it's but it's man, it's that classic paradigm of the classic situation of a Jew, Jewish music label owner ripping off black artists. This is just despicable. Larry um, Sherman. So Larry Sherman. Um, and you know, finally, maybe there will be some justice for ripping off artists. Uh, well, some. I'm, I'm what blanking, happened, man. We're talking about this is because is because Larry Heard and Robert Owens. No, I know, but wasn't there like a couple weeks ago? There was like another case of oh Adonis Adonis, Adonis had like on right. me for trying to raise to, some money, right? To because, make up for money yeah. that he was ripped off, and now it seems as though Larry Heard and Robert Owens, two of the members of Fingers Inc., which is like one of the first house music bands, and uh, they la- laid the groundwork for what would become deep house. They could really had their own brand of house that crossed over. And we played one of the uh, fingers ink songs um, at the end of, of our show the other, the other week, the one with the yeah. uh, Martin Luther King speech. Can you feel it? Yeah. Which is what, what an amazing record. Um, but they're suing. Um, yeah. For Larry, Larry and, and Robert. Yeah. Um, it turns out, it turns out Larry Sherman died in April. Yeah. He died. He died recently. April 10th. So the uh, Come months ago, the estate, I, I believe they were saying that uh, that they weren't sure how they were going to handle it. Um, I have to pull up the article. Do we have the article there? Can we pull it up? I'm 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 slacking on my on my information. At you gotta take moment. some notes, man. I know I I blew it. I blew it. Man. It's all good. I mean, you know the like yeah, they're suing there. They're suing for a million dollars. And uh, so this is this is great. We really hope. We really hope that uh, Larry Heard, who just celebrated a 60th birthday recently, and Robert Owens, who's a absolute 
sweetheart, and we we did a great record together about five years ago called Misty. Um, but Robert is like one of the absolute seminal voices of house music. Um, he has done so much and made so many wonderful records and and did great collaborations. You know, these guys really deserve this money because these songs had such a shelf life and traveled so far. Um, I mean, here's a perfect example, right? Of like, you know, black artists in the U S kind of innovating, creating this genre, deep house, basically create, creating this house music that had a deeper, more melodic sound that has been capitalized over the last five, 10 years on by white Europeans and white American artists and so much money. I mean, like the deep house craze that kind of took over Beatport last decade it made millions, millions and millions and millions of dollars for artists like Dixon and, and you know, all these Europeans. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's great. It's great that music spread and, and became global. But another reason why it's so important to look look back to the roots and make sure the, the creators are getting their due, both both with respect and understanding and, and knowledge and also with financial financial gain. Well, we're going to be following that story and... We'll try to get you more information. We gotta get Robert on, on here to, to talk tell us That'd about it. That'd be great. Yeah, you know, I reached out to Robert and I, I didn't get a response, but you know who knows? Telephone numbers changed. I, I think he's in Berlin these days. But if anybody has the contact or Robert, if you're watching, we love you and uh we'd love to have you on the show and, and talk about what's going yep. on with this lawsuit. What else you got for us, Eli? Um, so here's like a, a little call to action. Um uh from I've I'm, I've gotten involved with Peace Action uh, New York State, which is an organization that advocates for peace and justice uh, stuff here in New York. My dad is, has been involved with Mass Peace Action in Massachusetts, mm. um, who lives in Cambridge. And, Shout out uh, to Gary I was, Goldstein. I was with them this weekend, and there was a, a live stream with Noam Chomsky and a couple other great historians um, talking about kind of the rise of fascism here in the U.S. and what we can do to help fight it. And I got inspired and he's connected with uh, one of the organizers of New York Peace, Peace Action in New York State. So I'm now connected with them. So now I'm on the email list and the first email just came through and basically they're advocating um, for a bill uh, for the National Defense Authorization Act, which has been brought by Sen Senator Sanders, uh, Bernie, obviously, and and Edward Markey from Massachusetts. Um calling to cut 10% of the Pentagon budget. Oh, yes. Which would free up $74 billion in funds for disease control, healthcare, affordable housing, and improvements to education programs. Oh, we need it so um, bad. So you can basically call your senator. You should call your senator and and tell them to vote for this bill. Um, obviously, with a Republican-controlled Senate, it's a long shot, but it doesn't hurt. Call your senators, especially if they're Republicans. Um, and you can call the Senate switchboard, which is... 202-224-3121 and ask for your state senator. What's the number again? I'm going to write it in the chat so state. Johnny puts it on the screen. Yeah, I'm going to put that up right now. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, this is part of, you know, when we say defund the police, this is actually kind of part of this, you know, it's not, it's not about cutting the, the budget of the U.S. military completely, but, or the budget of the police completely, but it's diverting a significant amount of funds to social programs like education and support for mental health and basically just empowering communities to take care of themselves instead of uh, you know, relying on this clearly racist uh, police state 
and military state that we're that we're in right now. I mean, right now the 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 budget that they've asked for, the requested budget of 1.19 trillion dollars for the United States for next year, 61% of that budget, 727 billion dollars goes to, would go to the military. So, thanks you know, thanks Space Force. <laughs> so like that's just crazy. I mean, yeah, let's bring this up here, military spending. 1.2 trillion to fund the military in 2020. 1.2 trillion dollars. 9 trillion in the next decade. So asking to cut it by 10%. And you know, part of that also goes to military police and federal policing like ICE, um, you know, which we know separates children from families and it basically has concentration camps going on our borders to to intern immigrants who are trying to get into the US. Um, you know, I, I saw a tidbit that they're actually in some cases letting some of these kids out finally. I saw that. Um, because of COVID. Thank God. Uh, gosh, it is just so despicable. Um, yeah. I mean, they've set up a, a system of concentration camps in the United States, similar to what they did in during World War II to intern yep. the Japanese. Yep. But you never know who they're going to grab up and put in there. You know, <laughs> with what we're dealing with politically here, we you never really know because we see that you know white supremacy, thanks to our president, has been brought out into the open. Um, you know, at least we know it's there now. We know the extent to which it's there. Yes, but it is kind of scary to see all these white supremacists and Nazis marching and and being out in our streets openly with guns often, uh, and like we saw over the weekend. Yeah, that was a crazy situation. We were just talking about that before we started the show. What was it with the Car with the Karens in the Ken and Karen in, Ken in and Karen in St. Louis? And, so yeah. like you know, They're we want to talk about it. There was like a little. You know, it was a little bit awkward because, you know, there's some rumor that maybe this was a little staged, but, you know, it's still a juicy, a juicy nugget. Why don't you, why don't you it's, tell it's me? It's just like, great to see, even if it is staged, right? It's yeah. two older folks on their lawn. Basically, there were protesters marching in Ferguson going to try to go to the mayor's house. They had to cross yeah. through a gated community. I guess his house is in this gated community. So they went into into a gated community and this this elder, older couple came out on their lawn with... Uh, with one with an assault assault rifle, yeah, he was packing woman man. with a handgun, and brandished them at the uh, yeah. The, oh, thank you, and Johnny, Karen, for the win. This looks like a Scarface poster or something. Yeah, this is great. like the <laughs> where's where's Steven Seagal or or Stallone or something when you need. <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, this is a part of a bigger pattern we see of 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 uh, right wing militias and activists with guns coming out into our streets, um, and. And yeah, we need, um, you know, uh, it's, which also which also happened in, in Olympia, Washington this last weekend. But that's actually a feel good story here for us. Yeah, uh, we love to th we love to throw some feel good things. And this was like this story cheered me up so much that I was just it just made my day. So I'm I, I think we, I can speak for both of us. We're both big fans of Sasha Baron Cohen. And uh, aka you know, Ali G, G, aka Borat, uh, AKA Borat, aka Bruno, aka he has this new special, he has a special a couple years ago on Showtime called This Is America. It was great premise. He would go on in disguise because that's like his thing. He like destabilizes and he gets in there, he infiltrates with these characters and he's in full disguise and he he gets people that have like you know, uh, racist views or or strange political views or or just real creeps he gets them to to to, sh to share their their inner thoughts they're true yeah their true feelings yeah. so maybe and they wouldn't to like a mainstream media or interviewer he even had 
I, uh, some politician on on the in the the first season that I think resigned as a result of embarrassment because he got caught on the show. I'm sure so, it wasn't embarrassment. I'm sure it was just uh, uproar. Well, he's a creep, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's an uproar from his from his deli- from his <laughs> his constituents. His constituents. There we go. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Looks like Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen's back, which is like delightful for me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this this time he so yeah, as you said, up in in uh, in rural Washington State, uh, there was a right wing rally, um, and they received a phone call from this mysterious Los Angeles based. It was a pack. Well, it was they said they were a pack. Okay. Oh, they and, said that they were a pack, and they said that they yeah, wanted to. They, to they fund a rally. They wanted to guys, fund a rally for these for these militias there, the three percenters. And yeah, they're other. called the three percenters because I, I I guess when uh, uh, only back in the uh, American Revolution, three percent were the was the number of colonists that f- stood up against the uh, the British. That's where they get their name. So so yeah, so they get they they accept the support of this pack that wanna. Pay for staging, pay for sound system, all the infrastructure, for bodies, and and two bands. Right. So first band goes on, blase blase, same, you know, band, country band, whatever they're doing, bluegrass. Second band goes on, and out walks frontman Sasha Baron Cohen. Of course, they don't know, or maybe they're, you know, and he's looking like a big hillbilly um, with the overalls and everything. And he starts this song. He's singing. Obama, what you gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Hillary Clinton, what we gonna do? Chop her up like the Saudis do. And this ridiculously racist song, but it's a it's a call and response thing, and the crowd is totally getting you know buying into it. You know, maybe a little bit apprehensive at first, but over about ten minutes, Sasha Baron Cohen sort of whips them into a like. Yeah, he gets them all, you know, charged up and singing this stuff back. Um, yeah. The, the best, the best is, line, the best line is Bill Gates' penis Microsoft. <laughs> so, you guys should check out. You should check out this thing online. Yeah, Hopefully, that fire. means it's going to be a new a new season. Um, the organizers of the three th- of the three percenters, they are floored. They're flabbergasted, right? Which is actually maybe a good sign. That they don't want to be so well, no, outward here's, with it. Here's the thing about these about these white supremacists we're dealing with. They all say that they're not racist. They don't actually believe they're racist. They actually okay. they just believe that all you know black people and Jews should should be out of our country. Well, absolutely, absolutely, and and immigrants, obviously. So, but they say no, we're not racist. Like this is just important. This is America, that we, we don't have any immigrants or, or or blacks or brown people or Jews. Awful. Just embarrassing, but I guess, I guess you know they they smelled something was was fishy. You know what I mean? They wanted they wanted to pull him off stage. This is where it gets awesome. Uh, so they start looking around for the Los Angeles based pack, right? And uh, they're uh, the the these guys who are like the organizers are nowhere to be found. Suddenly, not only that. But the security that were hired, who are all armed, because it is militia vibes over there, they turn against the three percenters. So suddenly the three percenters can't get on stage. They try to go over the generator. They can't unplug the generator. These guys are armed. They won't let them through. And and meanwhile, Sasha Baron Cohen's on stage singing the song. The crowd's chanting along. Finally, they uh, they managed to like break through the barrier 
and uh, and kind of unplugged the mic. By that time, Sasha Bencorn has been whisked away into a waiting ambulance with the lights on, and they peel the f out of there. And uh, right. and uh, I guess I I heard somewhere that they were there was like an interview. <laughs> there was an interview to like kind of talk about what had just happened, and I guess he returned in a whole nother disguise and just further antagonized them, which is just so like, so oh good. man. I kind of want to. I kind of want to play some of the song, but maybe I don't know. Yeah, no, go, 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 go Google. Go, go check it out, man. It's it's, it's it's next level. Find it. Yeah. Um, what's funny is my, my cousins live in Olympia. My cousin is a teacher at uh, Evergreen College, which is in Olympia, and they, oh, you know, right. they say they they used to go to that lake all the time before COVID, and they're really disconcerted that there was a big right right wing rally there. Um, oh, yo, from the from the backstage. Where Rich Medina is patiently waiting, he he threw in there a tidbit that he actually brought fifty of his own security. <laughs> so. I mean, he still, you know, I mean, he knows that that his life is at risk doing some shit like this. Yeah, that's exactly sure. my comment. I sent it. I sent this clip to my father, and that's exactly what he said. He said, "Uh oh, they're gonna get him." But you know, but, more, uh, like he's, he he props to him for 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 putting. Let's, should we just bring let's just bring Rich in here? I mean, come on. You want to bring him in? Let's bring him in early. Bring this, is a, this, in early. this is a last resort, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rich Medina. A, a schmooze in first. <laughs> Rich Medina from Philadelphia. Well, not originally from Philadelphia, but in Phil, broadcasting live from Philly. Word up. What's up, Jen? What's up, man? How you doing? Chilling, man. Great to be here with y'all. So you were you were you were you were following the uh the developing Sasha Barrett Cohen story? Oh man, how could you not? <laughs> <laughs> how could you not, man? Did we did we tell the story right? Or? Bullshit. <laughs> Did we do we tell it as it is, or is there is there details on. we missed? You told it pop the fuck on, man. It's like, yo, like who? What other human being on earth could step in that place disguised as a redneck and sing this outrageous song, whip the fan base into a frenzy, and he got fifty security dudes surrounding all entries and entrances. So he was like the the whole setup was just so crazy, man. I love man. this. This is a great. I mean, you think? I wonder if uh, Showtime is paying for all this. Good God! <laughs> I mean, we, I can't wait to see the season. Obviously, the first season of This Is America was amazing. I can't I'm wait so to see bad. what he pulls out right now. But he had such a. He has one character from last season who is like a like a ex hub uh, ex. Uh, oh, what do you call him? The um, the Israeli. Uh, Israeli FBI, Mossad. Yeah, the Mossad. Ex Mossad, like, you know, Israeli killer. And he's like training people in America what to do. Um, to, what happens if you uh, come across a terrorist? Like, how to, how to disarm a terrorist? And he said, <laughs> oh, these, these jihadists are, 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 you know, extremely homophobic. So all you got to do is, you know, point your butt at them. <laughs> 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 and and you and they you could get a oh man that guy's yeah I mean a little he's a little inappropriate but he he's he's pretty funny man he's hilarious I mean it's a good example of why like you know blanket political correctness sometimes you just have to let that go and just let comedy kind of guide guide your political <laughs> political yeah, attacks <laughs> I mean it's that's we, been a big a big topic of conversation in, in like the stand up community the past you know five ten years. Because I mean, for the standups, this is like you know, free the free speech and the ability to kind of just poke fun at absolutely everything yeah. is paramount. Um, 
And not to say that, I mean, this is a time, a really important time to be compassionate and have sympathy and empathy and understanding for, for the, for, for, I mean, especially for with the black lives matter movement and, and what's going on. Um, I guess just, but I also feel like it's, uh, it's dangerous to, to scrutinize these, these comic comedians. And, um, you know, I mean, I think we can scrutinize it, but it should be a dialogue, right? It should create yes. dialogue, not just be like, they can't say that. Well, you know what kicked that off in the comedy world was uh, what happened with Louis C.K. Well, that was definitely that was definitely fucked up <laughs> what he was doing because yeah. that shit is just not okay. He thought I mean, he was to... having a Howard Stern moment, and he realized that you fucking JV, bro, you ain't you ain't on that <laughs> level. You can't do that level of conniving vocabulary and get a pass because it's driving ratings. You, you know your ratings aren't based on that. Well, I mean, what what ultimately destroyed him was the fact that he was exposing himself to people. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, if it was just the language, yeah. I don't know if he'd, you know, have been. But ain't that funny? I mean, he was making a bunch of racist comments, but it took him exposing his package in public for for him to be uh, held accountable. So, do you, you know, do you think he was? He, do you think he is a racist though? Listen, man. <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm. Go back to this thing. Where there is smoke, there is fire. There's no such thing as a Freudian slip in that department. That is just drunk talk, which yep. is the, your drunk friend is your most honest friend you got. <laughs> That's drunk talk, bro. You meant every word of that. And to think that he could make it funny next to his other comedic moments where he's tapping on the topic and he's bringing you know he's everybody every ethnicity is catching it in the joke that's what makes it round that's what makes it come off mm -hmm. but you know when you get pointed and aggressive and you take it out of that comedic space and behave as if you're trying to make this statement you know well cool you know you done lifted up your skirt now player <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it goes back to what I was just saying with these, like, you know, white supremacists saying, no, we're not racist. We just believe that the white race is superior. Right. Like, you're, I mean, if you talk the talk, like you're walking the walk, so you can't say you're not talking the talk. But that whole universe is, is rooted in cowardice. It's rooted in cowardice and protection by laws that the cowards created. Second Amendment. So they can get away with anything standing behind that firewall. You know, anything from the grand jury upward with regard to these vocabularies gets shut down because all those conservative judges from that jury upward are all the descendants of former slave drivers or northerners whose families benefited from driving slaves. So they're completely vested in maintaining the status quo. You know, the way that America was set up, people got to understand, like, to be 100% frank, the way America was set up, we were not supposed to survive past 1865. We were useless on paper and we were useless in the real world because free black people didn't know how to behave around white folks or free black folks and free black folks and free white folks had no idea how to behave around someone that just came off of a plantation yesterday. Wow. 
There were no systems in play, you know, no transitional, you know, dynamic, no severance packages jumping off. And then on top of that, when you stick the vagrancy laws into play, you know, I just got put off this plantation because of emancipation. And in order to leave the plantation, I got to have paperwork. If I leave with my paperwork at a certain time of day or come across a certain overseer who's now the local police officer that used to oversee the fields oh, in this man. plantation that I just left, I'm a, I'm a dead man. Or I'm being re-enslaved or I'm being put into the, to the prison industrial complex. It was all designed for that. This is all by design, fam. This is, a, I mean, this is a great breakdown about this. I, I had, yeah. I mean, obviously, like as as I've learned more about the police during this time, like you know, the police being founded to capture runaway slaves initially, but then this point, like about how once you know, once slavery ended, well, of course, where are the overseers going to go? They're going to be police officers so they can continue to abuse black people. KRS One is a prophet. Yeah. Overseer, overseer, officer, 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 officer. Yeah, officer from overseer. You need a little clarity. We'll check the similarity. Yeah, the overseer rode around the plantation. It's a policeman. They on patrol around the nation, and the police they got a little gun. So when I'm on the streets, I walk around with a bigger one. <laughs> what what prophecy is that? You know what I'm saying? It, and it speaks volumes to the black existence in the United States. And hip hop has allowed other, has allowed people from outside of the cultures that created the culture to come in the front door at all times as a welcoming agent. We are the agent of change. We are the people who are making the children of these red hat dickheads find out that there's a world over here that is actually pretty goddamn fruitful, full spectrum. And that drives the MAGA hats and their uncles and aunties crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's this like, I mean, you wanna, I wanna believe, I wanna believe, I really do wanna believe. The, the optimist in me wants to believe that this is like Trump and MAGA and this whole movement. And, you know, now all these white supremacists coming out of the woodwork is like. Only coming out of the woodwork to white people, brother. That's the only a great place point, in the world Rachel. where this is news is in the white community. They've been shitting on us since 16 fucking 19. It ain't I think, news. It's I think we keep, we keep visiting camera. that. It's being captured on camera and it's being run through the social media outlets as news. And now it's news because even if, and look, I mean, we're friends. We're friends because you two are men who have lived on the right side of history well prior to these revelations that are coming across your plate. So that news for you, it's easy for me to, to unpack shit for you and, and break it down further because you already rock with that spirit. Mm. The data might rock you and put you on your ass for a minute because I saw you do right side of history shit prior to this. I'm the black dude that's going to reach down there and pull you up because the more allies we got, the better. You know, I never heard any of you. You know, I've heard a number of people talk about, man, you know, this is so crazy. I'm so tired. I'm like, fam, tired. I'm, I'm 50. <laughs> you, you, you just got you just got here, B. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Yeah, pack a fucking lunch, buddy. It's gonna be a long day, <laughs> you know. Or you got the option. You've been exercising your other option all this time. 
You sure you want to be over here? Not because yeah. we're challenging whether you're worthy. Any ally is an ally. Purple, green, orange. It don't. We don't give a shit. Mm. Come through and spread love. But to expect empathy for your lack of endurance under pressure mm. is a poor way to enter the space mm. because you're entering the space proving that you're at an energy deficit. Therefore, you're unreliable. You're not durable enough to help me. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You can't yeah. tell me punch. Why would I go into a room where I know I'm going to have to fight with a dude that can't fight? Yep. Now I'm fighting for two people. Yeah, now, yeah. You know what I mean? This goes, this goes like this, I, I, this, Chom, this Noam Chomsky uh, live stream I saw. Basically, he's talking about how politics, politics, you know, how many, most people look at politics like you just go vote and that's it. That's your politics, right? Yeah. Every four years you vote for the president. That's you being engaging in politics. Real politics is every day taking action and activism for, for positive change. It's day. the same thing. I mean, it's like you can't expect this to just end. And like, I think it's it's. I I feel like I I'm so grateful for this movement now becoming more visible. And not that I wasn't aware of Black Lives Matter after Ferguson. Not that I didn't read the New Jim Crow, and I wasn't aware of this going on. But like. The fact now that it's it's something that feels like you that, that this energy you have to be a part of if you wanna if you wanna be an American if you wanna be a person who's who's compassionate and caring and connected with your fellow people here you, be on the right you have to be involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know the thing for Black folks that is one of the illest dynamics in this conversation that doesn't get spoken about a lot is what a shame that my fellow countrymen have to be coerced into believing that I'm as valuable as they are. That's a great point. How disgusting is that? That is the, you know, that is the black man's existence every day worldwide. I have to come in. My, my, my high, I've, I've told this story a million times, but I haven't shared it in this form. My high school basketball coach said something to us that rocked me as a kid. And he said, boys, when we go on the road, you got to be prepared to beat seven, meaning you got to beat the five guys you're playing against and the two refs because they're from that town. Uh, and we got to wear our dark uniform. <laughs> Every day for the black man worldwide is an away game. Hostile oh, crowd, hostile refs, cheating, being, being placated, uh, uh, you know, it's just painful, man. Moving the goalposts. All that vocabulary is an everyday occurrence, even in good times. And it speaks volumes to the style and grace with which we walk the earth. Because to not, like James Baldwin said, to not be irate is to not be human. But what are you going to do? All my friends are like, oh, you know, don't you got some other places to go? Yeah, of course I got other places to go. But all I'm doing is going to a country that's an older version of the shit that we're dealing with. They're all fucking colonizers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? America is an 18-year-old bully in a room full of 60-year-old dudes that used to be the 18-year-old bully. <laughs> that's why we push motherfuckers around. Because their muscles have atrophied. <laughs> like any bully... Like, yo, like what Bush did. Bush was like, yo, check this out, B. 
we about to run up on your man. Rock with us or get rocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bang. <laughs> that created our allies in Iraq. Mm. Like, what a falsehood to present to your country as grounds to make a move. It's a land grab, and it's a land grab based on color and resources, just like it happened in Africa, just like it happened in the Antilles, just like it happened in Suriname with the Dutch. You know, why you think the Bronx is named the Bronx? Because of Philip Bronx, a fucking Dutchman. Yep. If it wasn't for the Dutch East India Company, none of these motherfuckers would have what they I think have. Manhattan and Brooklyn, too. Brooklyn. Come on, man. But Oakland, Harlem. Yep, could Harlem. go on for hours and hours, man. The Dutch were the worst in the slave trade because without them, there's no sea rope. There's no seafaring boats. They were living on the sea on the land. The Dutch East India Company told their people that they were going to India to trade spices, but they were going there with their slaving people to get those spices. You know what I mean? So it's all these layers. It's such an onion of stuff is what I'm getting at. And, you know, standing in front of City Hall, protesting the police inside of a police barricade, being told by the police and everybody that's observing that doesn't care how you should protest is absolutely disgusting and absolutely a preeminent component of privilege. How can I po protest the police and ask them permission to stand inside of barriers that they put up in order for my protest to make it to the media? What the fuck kind of equation is that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, for our white friends who are true allies of ours, you know, the question is, because of the things that privilege represents, you got to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who's a circuit judge or a high-ranking lawyer or a senator or a politician of some sort that can run vocabulary up the ladder that makes a difference. But as long as it stays below that level, it ain't going to change. Mm. 401 years to the fucking day, and it ain't changed. You telling me that these fair weather motherfuckers is going to change it? <laughs> I don't see it. If my mama and them didn't change it with their white friends in Jim Crow, who am I to believe that without the veracity of Jim Crow being present every, present every day, aside from what people catch in the news on cell phones, that they have the care and fortitude to step into the arena that I live in and take these punches the way I do. Do you feel like this this movement at this moment is just very, just that a moment in time? Or yeah. do you feel like do you I feel do. like a hundred percent? And I feel like a lot of our white allies who are out on the front line now putting a lot of gusto on the table and a lot of energy on the table are gonna get tired. Yeah. And in the middle of them getting tired, a few more black people of power are going to get touched by the system and that's going to close the door on them backing away. Mm. I'm 50 motherfucking years old. I've seen it every decade of my life. Mm. Yeah. I was born in 1969 in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Three black men were hung five blocks from Point Pleasant Hospital. 
months before I was born. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how do you see, how do you see, how could this movement become something different right now? How could there actually be real change? The movement can become something different and institute real change when the white folks who have it in their minds to do the right thing, but are afraid to for fear of losing their job or having to face physical confrontation or having to face alienation from their family if their family wields that type of power over them to say, fuck them. Yeah. It's yeah. going to take that, you know? And I say that because as a 50-year-old guy, if Malcolm X was alive, I might be Muslim. Mm -hmm. If Dr. King was alive, I might have been a preacher like all of my elders in my family. Yeah. But to see them bumped out the, game, out the frame before 40 proves that no matter what the language is, violence or nonviolence, if it's coming from a black voice of leadership that is bringing people together and forcing the powers that be to look at their idiosyncrasies more closely and make changes, he got to go. And that's how it go. That's how it's been. This isn't a Medina-ism. I could hit you in the head with isms all day, but this ain't an ism. This is documented fact. Yep. And it's a life that brown folks live every day, even in fair weather. We always have our head on a 180-degree swivel. Because I trust you, but them three white boys that's with you, I just don't know. I distrust the possibility that if something popped off, I know that Eli and Charlie is going to pick up a chair or get back to back with me and put their fucking dukes up. It's not about being a tough guy. It's about being man enough to take the fight. Mm -hmm. I don't know them other three white boys. And I have to keep, unfortunately... I have to rock with that out in the front of my conscience at all times. I can't trust him as an American, let alone all the other reasons I should be able to trust him, considering the environment we're in with all these quote unquote like-minded people. I just don't know from day to day, you know? And that's rough space to exist in. And that's being presented to, to, to the world now. I got a question for you, Richie. I mean, you've you've you're very world traveled um, through the through this music thing. Um, do you get that sentiment when you're outside of America? Let's say Canada, Europe. Absolutely, Canada is probably the most passive version of it, but yeah, mm -hmm. everywhere. Europe, right. Asia, it doesn't well, matter. Like, Show me, like, tell me how many indigenous Canadian friends you know your age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you let's know. start that combo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. Just done with a smile. I guess what I'm getting at is like, you know, when you go to other Caucasian countries, you know, or like you're. Hmm. They're all, all Caucasian countries are colonizing countries. Yeah. All That's those countries one. built their wealth on slave labor, the slave labor of brown people, every single one of them. And brown includes Japanese. Brown includes Chinese, mm -hmm. brown includes Vietnamese, brown includes every facet of brown that you could consider when you think about the diaspora of people out there to, to consider. They've all been slaved by these places. So because they're so much older than America, the institutions have kind of slid towards the back and there's this passe 
we've gotten past it attitude. But when the shit hits the fan and it comes down to some real shit, it always ends up being the same result. I mean, the Netherlands is one of my favorite places on the planet. Yeah. First place I ever visited in Europe, 1996, my first time leaving the country. And 1996 was the year that Nelson Mandela was freed. Mm. Apartheid ended in 92, my dude. So all this love affair that I got with the Netherlands is buttressed by the fact that they have been a slave driving country all the way into the 20th oh, yeah. century. And they still celebrate yeah, Christmas with Santa Claus and Schwarte Piet. You know about that? Who's Schwarte oh, yeah. Piet? Okay. So we got Santa and the elves. Okay. The Netherlands has Santa Claus and Schwarte Piet, Black Pete. Oh, Schwarte is like Schwarte. Schwarte, Black. Yeah. Yeah. So... In America, you better watch out. You better think twice. We're going to watch out who's naughty or nice. You're worried about whether or not you're going to get gifts depending on how you behave. Okay. In the Netherlands, if you don't behave, Schwarte Pete is going to come down the chimney, put you in a bag, and take you away. Oh, no, man. The old Dutch people will tell you Schwarte Pete is a chimney sweep. My question to that is, why is his uniform so bright red and the fur around his wrist so white? And his lips so red and his eyes so buggy. Yeah, that's like the classic. And they say, well, you're ruining it for the kids. This is tradition. You're ruining it for the kids. I say, fuck your kids. Yeah, fuck fuck you. right, man. Go fuck yourself. Uh, And if you don't like that, let's fight. Have you had this conversation with Dutch Dutch DJs, promoters, friends? I saw a Schwarte Pete during Christmas holiday was in 1997 in the Netherlands, walking on Light Supply. And I saw a Schwarte Piet, a guy dressed up as Schwarte Piet on the sidewalk. You know, it's Christmas. So he's doing like a white, guy, white guy in blackface or a black or a... full-blown blackface, but he didn't have oh. the gloves on. His white hands were showing. Oh, and so gross. my fucking mercury exploded out the top of my head. I was spitting on the sidewalk. I'm ready to fucking maul this guy because I hadn't seen it. It was my first experience with it, unexplained. Mm-hmm. And it pulled me off my square so bad that I almost lost my freedom in the Netherlands. I was about to put hands on this guy because mm. I thought this was an individual doing blackface. Yeah. But lo and behold, 48 hours of research later, this is a national tradition oh, that has always been. So that cultural racism. That's one example of the ways in which you can come across this stuff in other countries, but it's so baked into the culture and the dissonance is so much thicker, believe it or not, than the dissonance that we have to deal with here because it's so much more ingrained as hundreds and hundreds of years of more history of it. It's only 401 years in America. What about France? What about England? What about Spain? What about, you know what I'm saying? All those places are older than us. America was founded by people that left Mother England and declared their independence from the monarchy so that they could act like monarchs under the guise of democracy. That's where we live, fam. Can we pinpoint a moment in history before this 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 racial divide before this uh, the, the this evidence of oppression 
before colonialism is there is there like a yeah, singular moment of, the nose of unity shot off the sphinxes the nose is being shot off the sphinxes because they have black features and they represent black power it's represented in the mayan sculptures being buried beyond the earthquakes that buried the portions of it that got buried under earthquakes it has to do with the lack of recognition of black scientists and mathematicians from the motherland that created science and math as we know it the denial of the fact that those ideas came from black people is so worldwide due to colonialism oh, it's yeah. a vertical wall it's not a hill to climb yeah. and when they do talk about it and give anybody brown credit they're egyptians who are a little bit more european in their look and way of acting than the rest of africa so they don't even talk about places inside of africa as being black that are fucking oh, they don't up. talk about africa being they just say egypt right they the egypt is almost as if egypt is its own continent next to africa right mm -hmm. you look at your rand mcnally maps they're all wrong. You look at your history books and the fact that we were doing social studies off of fucking dittos from books that came out 15 years before we were in school. And we're 70s, 80s, and 90s kids. Mm -hmm. That's bad info. That's bad data. Yeah. That bad data reinforces the bad attitudes. And those bad attitudes are therefore reinforced by the system from education to politics. That is systemic racism. And it's the microaggressions that make it up. Everybody thinks you got to do some big, outrageously overt racist thing to be racist. No. So, I mean, I guess the, the short answer to the question is that we can trace systemic racism well, this, all so the way back to white people, to white people going, going to other countries. The minute. No, they, no. But I think was Rich saying that it was pre Egypt into the Mayan, into the Mayan world, into the, into the no, era. No, no. Of, the point is, the point is that the white Europeans going to these places. Yes. As soon as they went you're to one of these right. places and took advantage of the native people there. You're both right. That was it. You're both spot on. Eli being correct because I mean, obviously colonialism from white European Caucasian oppressing everyone else. But my comment that, Including it's Jews going through all the way about it. Well, yeah. yes, of course. I if guess my like, basis. is racism as old as recorded history. It's as old as white people. It's, <laughs> it's as old, old as, as white, white people, people started recording their version of history. Yeah. There was history prior to Shakespeare writing the Bible and multiply making his contributions to other uh, 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 religious, Catholic, and Christian-based writings that have been forced on the world. There was history prior to that. Those things were written as indoctrination tools. And then they gave us church as a coping mechanism. You know, I was going to make a comment like, you know, we no longer think that uh, the, the sun revolves around the earth uh, why do we think that one color of skin is superior to another? And then I was going to say, we no longer think that the earth is flat. <laughs> but we do have quite a few people that are arguing that it is. 100%. And some of those people have enough power 
and enough reach and enough resources and connectivity to put that vocabulary into mass media. Yep. And once that vocabulary hits mass media, it's just as relevant as the truth. What did Goebbels say? A lie told a thousand times is the truth. Yep. The classic. That's where classic we're at right now with, with social media, especially, right? When That's where we're at in our presidency. Yeah. That's it. I mean, his, he can tweet anything. It's going to get seen millions of times, and that, and then every, therefore everybody thinks it's true. Tell the lie a thousand times, and someone inside of a rational group of people is going to believe it. Usually someone that doesn't want to be outside of the power structure that's speaking to the lie. Their wish to be inside the power structure makes them complicit. Hmm. Right? Think hmm. about it. If I shoot somebody at one o'clock and I hmm. pick y'all up at 115 and we get pulled over at 130 and the gun is in the whip, we all go into prison. Racism works the same way. If you standing behind a guy that's saying wild racist shit to a brown person and you don't stop that, yep. and you don't interfere, you are part and parcel of the problem. And you're going to get your ass beat, too. I mean, let's let's expand that analogy to everybody in this country with Trump, you know, as our as our spokesperson for for foreign policy and for foreign diplomacy or a spokesperson I, for I mean, we, it's just despicable. It's despicable. Yeah. It's disgusting. And the thing that people are doing is paying so much attention to him that they're not paying any attention to the lifelong politicians sitting behind him whose grandfathers were slave drivers. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. Like if Trump ain't is, the problem. Yeah. Let's Trump, talk. I mean, well, he is he is part of the problem. <laughs> he's part of the problem, but I'm saying he's not the tip of the spear. The quiet cats behind him are the tip of the spear. Who have embraced him. Who have embraced him. They you know? embrace him because the components of his vocabulary that speak to keeping them in power far outweigh their idea of why the truth should be told. Yep. And that is blasphemous at best. And we ain't even talking about religion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this kind of that kind of brings up like the the election coming up, right? And like how any kind of activism right now like the most important thing right in front of us is is doing everything we can to make sure that this man does not get elected again because despite the system being so broken and and so racist and unjust already like what he's done and is doing and would do if he won again is i'd say what he's being enabled to do. what he's being enabled to do it it just it would set us back you know we're already back, man. White people are gonna catch white people have to catch up to that. Yeah. We're already back. Privilege in and of itself would have a person think we have further back to go. And that's an innocent presentation of privilege. That's a humble, you're not even saying that being being privileged. You know what I'm saying? This is just your black friend that lives there. It's not a theory for me. This don't come off. Every day I got to deal with that scrutiny and that disdain that goes unspoken, that you have to walk past and not say something. Because if you say something, you're the antagonist. And but don't you, think that, 
don't right. you think that like the best chance of of changing this, you know, or like we have no chance of changing this, right? If Trump wins again and he can appoint two more Supreme Court justices, he can appoint two hundred more federal judges. I mean, there's no there's no chance of changing the system for a, the significant future if that happens. It doesn't matter. The election doesn't matter. That that, that means nothing anymore. The 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 the, the system is flooded with conservative leadership at this point. But it would be so much more flooded if he wins again, right? I mean, like, the Supreme Court is still important, I right? think it's like, flooded enough. I think what would happen is that you're going to see a larger Duracell in the back of these rednecks, and they're going to start taking action yeah. and seeking retribution for all these Confederate statues coming down and all these laws and statutes oh about the three-fifths compromise being addressed and shut that down. And because of the conservatism of the judging system, they can do it with even more impunity if yep. they get elected because they have the seat of power. They're also going to show us impunity if they lose because they don't take losing well. You know, the, the, the sign of the Confederacy is a white flag. That's what they flew. The Union put foot in that ass. Yep. And the reason the Union put foot in that ass is because the black soldier, the black soldiers became soldiers because they were sent out in the field to entertain and fix broken tools. They were sent there with no weapons. And then when the soldiers are getting run down, they're picking up the weapons and moving the bodies and then jumping inside the infantry and using their survival skills that they honed while under the fucking chattel system to get the union to the W. Nobody talks about that either. Yep. Could come home, black soldiers coming home from all the world wars, getting spit on and cussed at and having shit talk to them after, in their mind, proving to the world that they are a worthy American by serving to protect the country. It's so low. To this yeah, I mean, like, even, even Vietnam, like more than 60% of the soldiers were black. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's, that's not talked about. We sent them in there basically to die that was that was a war that we knew we weren't going to win basically to die and jacob's ladder was only administered to white platoons yeah and it fucked them all up yep. and the government covered them up so that is proof positive that white supremacists are confused because those of them that aren't in the one percent financially you just as much a nigger as me in the in the in the, the eyes of the man that's in the one percent pulling the strings, but you can't even see that we countrymen with the same problem. Yeah. The wool is pulled so far over their eyes. But I want to go back to saying you saying the election doesn't matter because I'm I'm a firm believer that the election matters a I, lot. I'm saying it contextually, you're right. It does matter. It does matter one hundred percent. I was a contextual, it goes, but it goes back to what I said that it's not enough to say okay, the election matters. I'm going to vote and that's it. Right. This is. That's the problem is saying, okay, well, I'm just going to vote. And that's me doing my part. That's my, like I said before, like that's politics, right? No, politics is every day fighting for what you believe yeah. is right, right. Right. And the election matters, but so does the activism that goes on when it's 100%. not in a way. hundred percent. And for the remainder of 2020 through 2021, win, lose, or draw, the government is going to keep dosing this virus in select cities nationwide. And the rednecks is going to be mad anyway. They mad off of the Confederacy. This little election ain't shit to them. That's the context in which I'm saying it doesn't matter. Right, right. 
They're going to wow the fuck out either way. Yeah. Put a black woman in there, a lot of people going to get hurt. Put them back in there, they're going to endorse the hurt that goes yeah. on black people. Yeah, we are really at a at a moment, <laughs> and we have yeah. been in a moment. I'm saying are, black folks have been, have been in, in a moment, moment for 401 years. Yeah, Our allies yeah. are just being alerted to this, the 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 severity. Depravity. Yeah, the depravity of the disposition in and of itself. Our friends tell me all the time, "Oh, man, you know, Rich, you know, you're different. Different than what?" Dad, well, you know, you you speak so well, man. You have such a oh that one. Oh, fantastic. you mean like white oh, friends oh, telling you? Expected, motherfucker. Fat Albert in the gang. <laughs> Fuck that, dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's an everyday occurrence, bro. Yeah. That is daily. You guys giving me the compliment on how I make my point, or the way I go about constructing my argument when I want to present a point. That's a completely different thing. Well, you yeah. said it richisms. Riches. Now I have a word for it, which is Medina isms. Isms, man. Yeah. I got isms for days. <laughs> yeah. But you know, this is this is space where, you know, a lot of those isms are based on these facts that we're unpacking here. And it's baked into my system because I grew up in an active family. You know, nobody knows my grandparents' names and they aren't on any newspapers or in any major media about their activism but they came north on pullman porter train and the underground railroad where did first they come from family, some of the first black families to settle in new jersey my grandfather was the first black carpenter induced in, inducted into the local union in new jersey he built 11 churches in new jersey in the fucking 30s what part of the in south new did he come from huh what kind of part of the south they come from my mother's peoples are from dothan alabama my grandmother on my mother's side was black as my t-shirt. My grandfather was Cherokee. Mm. Straight hair and all. Strange as it sounds, it was safer for him to pass as black. Wow. So we talking about the black thing. We can't forget that the indigenous thing is baked into the forefront of this dialogue. And that's why they live on sand and untillable land and COVID is rav ravaging ravaging there because it's being dosed there it's a man-made sickness let's get into that well this nice we got some <laughs> conspiracy theories <laughs> all right where where's it where do you think that's where do you get that information where do you think that's true i think that's true because just like all the other man-made sicknesses that have spiraled out of control and there's no cure for it on paper, the cures exist. All right, think about this. If you looked at Magic Johnson today and didn't know his history, would you think that he had HIV? Absolutely no, not. No, sir. You know why he looks the way he looks? Because he makes $50 million a year just off of his movie theaters, let alone his NBA pension and all those other things. And in order to stay alive, he'll sign that NDA for how much it cost him and take that drug. Yep. yep. Look at Homeboy that bought the Wu-Tang album that got pinched. Oh, Skrellig, Skrelly, Skrellig. What a, that, what a scumbag. You know, maybe the disease a man made, but the control of when and where the cures and the remedies are allowed to be placed is now in the hands of an enormous conglomerate 
that is only concerned with numbers and research and development and science for the sake of profit. That in and of itself makes it makes it a man-made problem. See, I mean, I would argue that they don't even have to inject it into the communities. Just the fact that it that it that it is a virus that acts the way it does. Yeah, they can, mean, do nothing. they can just do nothing, and it's gonna it's gonna you know dis, it's gonna disproportionately affect an Indian reservation that doesn't have the same access to healthcare, or or yeah. you know a housing project that doesn't right. have the same access to healthcare, and people are living right next to or, each other, or a rural white community that or rural white community. problems. Yep. yep. But they have had this superiority complex baked into their psyche, and. That superiority is one of the very few things that gives them any solace in their fucked up meager existence mm-hmm. because they're eating fucking noodles, breakfast, lunch and dinner, too. Oh, can I throw this out there? Let's let's say that that this uh, that this idea is correct. Why? Why now? Because there are things in the American legal system that say a sitting president can't be removed under X, Y, or Z conditions. But let's say for argument's sake global. right now, for simplicity's sure. sake, let's call it police state. It's something different. It's something deeper, the language. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. But a, a sitting president can't be removed in a, in a police state. I mean, and I guess- No, I'm not saying it right, but you said why oh, now? No, I know. Ex- I'm saying why now, glo- but this is a global problem. True, but- you know, look at the leader, look at Marie Le Pen in France, look at the leader of Brazil, look at the 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 conservative party that's pushing up the ladder with Johnson in England. They all want the same thing. They want to return to that old colonial rule where men have all the power, women ain't got shit to say, and the brown people work for us for free. That's why. Because racism. Otherwise, the people with the power would fix it. And we'd have a real Superman. We'd have a real Clark Kent. We'd have a real fucking Silver Surfer. We'd have a real Flash. There's a there's a Tony Starks in this motherfucker somewhere. It don't stop at Elon Musk. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of complicity at the top because they're all in bed with the same financial bedfellows barclays world bank you know bilderberg group brotherhood of the snake you go on and on and on and on with with these layers of this onion you know this onion that we're talking about is the size of the fucking planet man yeah yeah and until we start dissecting it in this manner you know in a public forum with you know sometimes i get in these conversations and i feel like i'm the black guy that's fucking white splaining everything and then other times I get in conversations like this where it's heady mm-hmm. and we're 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 pushing forward in these these notions. And I can see light bulbs going off over your head. You're mm-hmm. presenting notions to me that, hey, you know, I never heard that vocabulary from any of my other conscious white male friends. That's a deep perspective. Cool. Boop. Let me stick that in my hard drive. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's this is where the growth is. You know, well, I mean, uh, we've definitely heard from, you know, friends or or from thinkers of all races, shapes and sizes, a number of conspiracy theories regarding covid. Um, I mean, I think that there 
that it makes sense this idea that you're presenting i don't know if i fully believe that uh it would that that uh, that trump's presidency would have the audacity to put the entire actually no no i do agree that trump oh, would put the whole fucking world <laughs> at risk <laughs> But but it's just like how could how could anyone I don't know how could these guys how could we getting away with this shit? I mean, look at his father. Look at his history as a real estate person. Look at his history in terms of his political affiliations. You know, this guy's got a million pictures. You hear about people dying? He's got a million pictures out floating in the world with Jeffrey Epstein and telling everybody he has no idea who the guy is. How could you not like what all that motherfucker has is audacity. <laughs> well, I mean, you know but saying? that would that would be you know go to circle back to the to the election though that that would mean I mean this election is important because perhaps just just for you know isolating COVID and getting back to maybe some sort of semblance of norm normalcy in our day to day it's it's you know essential that that we get it definitely I mean that's that's definitely true out of office but um, either way the insurance companies uh, will still have you know. Yeah, him stop power system. Let's throw it. Let's throw in in the in this mess. Also, the, <laughs> you know what what happened four years ago with our election system being meddled with by by Russia, and and you know that's commonplace. I feel like it. They're common knowledge, rather, and I feel like it does not get talked about. But we don't even we don't even need outside outside sabotage of our election system. The Republicans have been systematically destroying voting rights for, for the last sure. 20, 30 years. That has been their strategy for winning elections. And the, jerry, the gerrymandering. gerrymandering. Is, yeah, just as old as racism itself. The entire melanated existence worldwide is gerrymandered by nature. Yeah. I guess my point was is that, like, yesterday there was um, a revi- they revisited the russian constitution um because putin's um dictatorship was supposed to come to an end 2024 and it was extended i believe it was extended by another 16 years yeah yeah but that's the that's the actions of a despot that's the, but the difference the difference there is that you know it's it's clear what he's doing it's out in the open he's basically you know he's usurped oh, yeah. the system and now it's out in the open in the u.s we still have this this veil of democracy that we have to fight for. Well, even though, even as, as thin as the veil is, we still have to fight for it to make sure we don't end up with somebody like Trump, Trump or somebody in, in the future being able to make these proclamations that they're going to stay in power as long as they want, right? Mm-hmm. We still have a little bit of hope that we can stop this before it gets out of control. Sure. And we have to. Sure, man. And you got to be hopeful. You got to be hopeful. Otherwise, you might as well off yourself now. Take us down the hopeful path, Rich. <laughs> You know, the hopeful like path gives you hope. the, the belief that, you know, I'm 50. I feel like every year of my life, I've shed some dead weight and I've brought on new weight that is good for my future. I mean, you look great. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that the cluster of forward thinking white men that I break bread with on a regular basis isn't an isolated group. I have to believe that there are more Eli's and Charlie's sprinkled across the United States and across the the world who are as fed up and concerned and vested 
in black culture as you guys are. I'm hopeful of that. I pray that the conscientious white man outside of entertainment begins to apply himself the way gentlemen like you are applying yourselves. I'm hopeful that my kid can put himself in a position to be successful without having to function under these old world American constructs of what success is. I got my kid doing flyers and logos for me at 12 and paying him so that why are you going to go to school for four years and rack up a hundred thousand dollar budget when you made 60 racks doing this shit before you turned 18. Mm -hmm. Now that you're 18, I could set you loose and put you in a position to exponentiate that. And I'm hopeful that my other friends that have children are indoctrinating their children with healthy, progressive vocabulary and an open-minded worldview that will allow us to be able to look back at this time before we go and say, man, you know, look at the job, you know, I'm hopeful that these these white kids that are in these schools that are getting shot up and pissed off and now they've made themselves activists and politicians, pretty soon those little motherfuckers are gonna be senators and mayors and governors and comptrollers and they are tight in the fucking face because they have caught the brunt, you know? They have caught the heat, the residual heat of white supremacy because every single shooter in those situations was a young white man who was mad at black people and mad at the system at the same motherfucking time. That hits home, Jeez. right? So I'm hopeful that these kids, that those those two, the, the girl and the kid that became really popular, I'm dumbing out on their name or the city that they're from. That kid's gonna be a fucking mayor in a minute somewhere. Or he's gonna be a lawyer that's gonna be ripping people's fucking heads off from the day he gets out of law school. I'm hopeful that there's a thousand more of him in his state alone and a thousand more per state across the United States that are like, you know what, man? We have to be the generation that lives this reputation of our elders down. So do you think that this moment will be any different than the late 60s, early 70s? Well, it is different already because it, all the radicalism is from an armchair. Mm -hmm. And we are being solicited by white people at large about how they can help. And that's a difficult question to answer because it depends on your already standing relationship with black culture. Because if you don't already have a standing relationship, we got to go to the classroom and I got to unpack a bunch of shit for you so that you can understand the fucking rules of engagement over here. Um, you know, maybe there is some the re-education or education be, without just, it. With just fun. education. Right. Yeah. You know, that's where my activism is. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I teach in the Netherlands. I teach at Lincoln. I teach at Cornell. I teach at the Barnes Foundation. And all of my curriculum is rooted around the role of race in entertainment mm -hmm. because it is an undeniable vision for all of us. So when I'm talking about D.W. Griffith and 
the fact that that film was the birth of a nation, the original birth of a nation was a film remake of The Klansman, which was written by Thomas F. Dixon, who was Woodrow Wilson's best friend. And Woodrow Wilson was the biggest xenophobe probably in American history for, for argument's sake. And that in the famous quote from Woodrow Wilson is that he, first of all, he screened that movie in the White House. That film, Birth of a Nation, was screened in the fucking White House. And the precedent of the film was the blacks have taken over Congress. And the first law that they want to institute is the law of interracial marriage. Come on, man. Fam, this ain't my, this ain't an ism. Yeah, yeah, if you haven't watched this, this is a must. I've never seen the movie. I never seen it. Rock with me. Rock with me. So the opening scene. There's black people in this congressional seating area and they're fucking eating chicken and with their feet up on the chairs, picking their toes and drinking liquor in the Senate floor and the gavel drops and interracial marriage is legal. And there's a white couple that is the power couple of the town up in the balcony and every black man sitting in a Senate seat turns and looks and they scamper out of there. So this is the premise under which we need a clan to preserve the sanctity and purity of the white woman. That is the basis of the film. And it was screened by the sitting president of the day. And his famous quote was, my only regret about this film is that it, it is all so very true. It is like writing history with lightning, he wow. said. If you look at look up the Woodrow Wilson quote, about birth of a nation right now okay, it, okay. johnny can we can we go wikipedia that and maybe we could put it up on the screen so we can we can read it verbatim so you know you gotta take people all the way back to that what, just so he knows it's woodrow wilson what's the quote that he's looking for so our producer can pull that up uh his quote it's about dw griffith's birth on birth birth of a nation, birth of a nation. yeah let's see if we can get that popped up so, you know, these are the these are the this is the bedrock that we're standing on here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. you got to take it. You got to take the onion. You got to cut the onion to the core. You know, to get the most out of the, the potential of changing the way this onion exists, because that data is 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 there and it's factual. But the way American history is set up. You know, a, a smart, forward-thinking, open-minded guy like you doesn't know about it. Yep. You know what I mean? Well, That's I mean, not, there's many ways you in don't which know I need to be black people. <laughs> it's not that. Yeah. It's proof positive of how buried and how those Goebbels type of lies have been placed on top of a lot of incidents and legal precedents in the history of our country that make things the way they are. Oh, and yeah. we're arguing it from this human posture which carries a lot of emotional and cerebral weight, mm-hmm. but it doesn't touch the system. No. You know what I'm saying? Not in the way that we want it to. It touches the system, but only enough for them to stay quiet and put more wrinkles in the law so that by the time, if we ever get there and actually get to challenge those laws, we got to debate the wrinkles before we start talking about law. And they're going to spin that into, they came all the way up here to talk about wrinkles. So maybe there is some hope in the younger generations. It always seems like maybe we can yeah. look to 
There's a ton. Yeah, I mean, the 60s changed it. You know, Martin Luther King was what, 37? Malcolm X yeah. was 36 when he yeah. died? Yeah. You know, he was a very, very, very young man. Do Everybody you th- that did something revolutionary for black people who was of a black ethnic background was young. Are there are there think thinkers, theorists, uh, activists that come to mind that um, carry on these the spirit or tradition of of MLK, Malcolm X? That you think people should be paying attention to? Sean King. Okay. I think that people need to pay attention to Sean King's work because Sean King puts his finger in it. You know, he doesn't dance around it. Um, you know, I got, I do got to say, I have, a, I have a friend who's an activist who's, who's there's Sean King is kind of complicated because there's some financial stuff that he's done that's kind of shady. Check his Instagram; he's exposed it all. It's all yeah. lies. It's all lies. You think people are trying to bury him? I don't think they are. They are. That's how yeah, it goes. Yeah. They go after him with the CIA first, then the FBI, and then come the hitmen. Luckily for him, he caught those police officers in that Facebook chat. And expose that. So he just stalled that for who knows how long at this point. Mm. But he stalled it. We got that that Woodrow Wilson quote. He put it back there. He said, it's it's like writing history with lightning. My only regret is that it's also terribly true. You hit the nail on the head. So it's based on the idea that they have to create, they have to reinvigorate the clan to save the sanctity of the white woman. It was a, not only was it screened at the White House, but it was the first movie screening ever at the White House. And it was put there in order to drive a national agenda because we're coming. This is 1915. You know, these niggas been free for 40 something years now. And now they starting to get a little bit of gumption. Now they want to infiltrate the education system. We can't have that. If they get the same education as we get, they're going to overthrow us. So therein lies the argument that to be pro-black is to be anti-white, which is absolutely ludicrous. We're pro-black because when the Constitution was first first written, we were categorized under a law called the Three-Fifths Compromise. Are you familiar with the Three-Fifths Compromise? Nope. School us, Rich. The Three-Fifths Compromise says that a slave on a plantation only is equivalent to oh, three-fifths three of, of a human. Right, right. Yes. I remember that now. now in I'm the right. first civil rights era, which happened immediately post-emancipation, that was overturned. The Reconstruction, that, yeah. Yeah, in Reconstruction. And in that overturning, that is where the Electoral College was created. And the Electoral College was made up of former plantation owners oh, who man. fundamentally said, all right, well, if this nigga is now one person, that must make me 10. <laughs> Fuck. That is the premise of the fucking electoral college that got our current president elected. Yep. So without we start from, that, from ground. Two points right there. We got to start from scratch, man. Reconstruction and the electoral college. A true case study on those three things yeah. would flip a lot of people. Yeah. I but have a um, recon. We don't read. 
We don't even want to listen to other motherfuckers talking other languages. We the only motherfuckers that'll go to another country and say you can't say it in English. <laughs> How fucking arrogant is that? Despicable. And I'm a, this is me talking as an American, you know? Yeah. I'm just as American as any other American. Because I'm black, I get a pass in other countries because they're like, well, you're oppressed, so you can't be as much of a dick as these other guys. Yeah. Ah, but you're also in hip hop. You're also an entertainer, so maybe you are a dick. Let me be careful. <laughs> And I definitely don't want to be nowhere in the dark with you because, you know, even with all of that understanding that I have, you guys are dangerous. Oh, here's something, Rich, that, that Johnny put from the, the, our producer put from the Wikipedia entry um, for, on, on the on the on the clan movie, which is that it was actually the first Rich, movie Rich ever said, played. Rich said that. Rich said oh, that. you just said that that was the first movie ever played at the White House. Yeah. Oh. Well, um, I want to. I want to go back to what you were saying. What can we read about that? Um, what can we, like what? What are activists that we can read about to educate ourselves? So I have I have a few books I've read that have really been. Is, I don't know if it's about particular people. I think it's about incidents and moments in time in American history, and understanding the context of the. First of all, you should see Ava DuVernay's Thirteen. Yep, it's on Netflix, right? It's it's been on Netflix first and fucking foremost. Yeah. Okay. Watch the 13th and watch it uninterrupted and focused. Yeah. Secondly, you should watch the original Birth of a Nation. Mm. And you should vest yourself in studying the fact that the civil rights era as we know it is actually the third civil rights era. The first one was Reconstruction. Mm. The second one happened in the early 20th century. And the third one happened in the 60s. I think if you sit your, you vest yourself in the hard data that's in those three spaces and to deny systemic racism and the fact that black culture as a whole has been suffering from PTSD since 1619 means that you're vested on the wrong side of history. I'm going to I'm going to add to that if you like to read if you are a reader Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is it's amazing. I got some fucking books right here. I'm trying. Uh, All right. Boom. James Baldwin. Baldwin. Nobody knows my name. This is James Baldwin's excerpts from when he came back from Europe. And he realized that going to Europe, he was facing passive racism from colonizers that were older than America, which we talked about earlier. This is James Baldwin waxing poetic on that. I'm going to write these down and keep track. We could put them on the screen. Franz Fanon, Black Skin, White Masks. I don't know that one. This book, Franz Fanon, is one of the most renowned Black psychologists and writers ever and he speaks about the same thing that w.e.b du bois spoke about with the double consciousness i have to be a black man and i have to be an american or a frenchman or an englishman and i have to live i have to function through this dual consciousness because if i don't keep the two segregated and begin to conflate them i'm going to start acting in ways that's going to get me in trouble because of the color of my skin the souls of black folk W.E.B. Du Bois, 
mind blowing. Jawanza Kunjufu, the conspiracy to the destroy black boys. I only have volume three with me because I lent two to a buddy of mine over the over the course of a similar conversation. The confessions of Nat Turner. You familiar with who Nat Turner is? Mm -hmm. Nat Turner led the most famous slave revolt recorded the the most famous slave revolt that white history has reported publicly. What's the title of that one again? The Confessions of Nat Turner by William Styron, S-T-Y-R-O-N. Uh, it was written, this is a book that I stole from uh, <laughs> Cornell University when I was there. Uh, this book was written in 1966. This is the punch in the face. Southern slavery and the law, 1619 to 1860. This will fucking do all of your delusions in. Oof. Thomas D. Morris. And this one will give you some human context. Deep Like the Rivers, Education in the Slave Quarter Community, 1831 to 1865 by Thomas L. Weber. I minored in Africana at Cornell. I studied under James Turner. James Turner led the revolt at Cornell University that created the Africana Studies Center at Cornell University in 1969. And he became the tenured professor at the Africana Studies Center at Cornell. And when I got there in 88, he was a mentor to me. When I came home from school after my freshman year, and this is 88, so this is the baby steps of the golden era. Native tongue is just hitting the street. Black, medall Black medallions, no gold. All of that rap is bubbling, right? Jungle Brothers, Tribe. All these dialogues is now in the air. This newfound black consciousness, public enemy, you know, uh, Lakim Shabazz, all of these rappers that might not be KRS One, BDP, KRS One, BDP. We could go on and on, but you know, particularly artists that were speaking to this. Hey, black man, you know, you you're somebody. You're worth something. You got to start to carry yourself with a certain kind of pride and a certain kind of reverence because whether you believe it or not, you're the descendant of kings and queens. All that rap is in the air. And I'm at the, I'd never seen so many white people in one place in my life when I got to Cornell. And I'm studying Africana under James Turner. When I came home that wow. summer, I was like, kill Whitey. Yeah, rightfully because, so. Because from 18 to 19 years old, I found my knowledge itself by being taught history as it actually happened rather than the wash down history that pushes us through our shitty educational system. Mm -hmm. The knowledge that I gained gave me a hostility that is difficult to bank in a conversation like this, because as a malleable kid, a malleable kid who 
grew up with friends of all ethnicities and all backgrounds. You know, my house was a neighborhood house where it didn't matter. We was definitely jet black all day, but we never held anything against anyone. You could come hang out and play. And it was a place where a lot of my white friends that I have to this day from childhood got their knowledge of self by functioning inside the home of a black family. And then going back home and there are there people saying, oh, well, black people, this, 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 that. And then being able to say, you know, that's not true. They get called to the dinner table just like I do. They got to brush their teeth and take a shower before they go to bed just like I do. They put their pants on one leg at a time just like I do. Where does all this shit coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, and then that kid ends up being alienated from his family and lives with me and my mom for six months. Wow. And then my mom got to go talk to his parents and tell them how fucked up they are and come get your kid. Shit. So that that learning space, that year at Cornell, not only the, the black history learning, but having a black teacher tell me in the first week of school, listen, son, you look like a good kid. But I know that you're a basketball player. And I'm telling you right now in the fall, I don't give a fuck if you score a thousand points a night. I want the paper yesterday from you. When it's time to call on motherfuckers, I'm calling on you, basketball star. Don't think you you want to skate? Go to fucking Syracuse. Go to St. John's. I I know you can play. I know who you are. I know you're here because of your academics. But if you think you're going to skate, check out of my class now. What a a great teacher. Huh? What a great teacher. What a fantastic teacher. Held me to task as an educator and built up my knowledge of self at the same time. And that allowed me, once my anger about what I learned subsided, it allowed me to become this guy. And breaking bread with my conscientious white friends who want the gusto. You know, my friends like you guys, you want that magic. What is the magic, man? You know, why do I like this fucking music so much? Why do I gravitate to the space the way I do? I can tell you why. Or at least I can point you in the direction of you telling me why. Right? But without knowledge of self, I can't do that. And that knowledge of self is that I am not an immigrant. My people didn't come here by choice. Mm. Nor did they stay in this motherfucker by choice. Because they would have followed Marcus Garvey if he hadn't been framed and eventually killed. Who knows where I'd be? Jamaica, Salvador Bahia, Guadalajara. I don't know. That's all black. If it ain't white, it's black. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? The American politicians that founded the country started that. You familiar with the one drop rule? Mm -hmm. I'm not. School me. What's the, the one, one drop? drop rule is another part of the American Constitution before Reconstruction that said if you have one inkling of black blood in your system, oh, you are geez. black and therefore eligible to be enslaved or at least indentured. And that is why there's so many light skinned girls in Maryland because Thomas Jefferson was fucking all his house slaves. Oh my. And so were all the other fucking slave drivers. But they let the pretty girls in the house to work because the wives can get bemused by their looks and by how sweet they are and how nice they are. And they're so caught up in all the power that the plantation has that they don't realize that when he tells you that he's going to the field 
to take care of some shit with the overseer. He's actually going taking Sissy to the barn and put his dick in her. And all the butlers and all the men that worked in the house were more brooding and more physically not so attractive in order for his wife not to have the same pleasure. Oh, white men. <laughs> oh, white guys. And, I'm, Just... and I have to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful and humbled for the opportunity to talk about this in this forum. I'm not here to stick my finger in anyone's eye. No, not this at all. Data, this data is who I am. This data yep. is my wheelhouse. If you like my DJing or my production, that shit is a distant 15th place <laughs> to this. This is my wheelhouse. This is yep. who I am. And I can say to be 100% fair, I've skirted some issues that my brothers have to deal with on an everyday basis simply because of the fact that I have some conscientious white friends. Mm. I get to go in the artist door or the venue or the restaurant or whatever, you know, whereas my friends coming in the front, they might catch it on the sidewalk. They might catch it on the train. They could catch it anywhere, you know? So I understand the degree to which my life as a human being has been charmed. Doesn't change the fact that I could go outside and catch a bad officer and be on the news in a matter of seconds. They don't give a fuck about that but because of the life I've chosen for myself and the way that I've chosen to operate socially, I'm buffered by, by white people. And I'm keenly aware of that. And that's why I step outside of it and speak my clout with such gusto because there's people in the black community that might look at a guy like me, like I'm an uncle Tom because I break bread with white people to the degree that I do. So it's a double-edged sword. Well, with a syllabus like you just gave us, it's hard to 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 even think for a second that you are not all in. And, uh, you know, I couldn't I wouldn't even think for a second. Uncle Tom just doesn't doesn't suit. It doesn't it doesn't connect for me. I mean, well, I get it. I get I it. Appreciate that. But I, I just I would never I I mean. First of all, I don't think it's my place to, really to, lit, to say so. that. Divide and conquer. It's the really yeah. conversation. You guys didn't know about the Willie Lynch syndrome? Eli, you hip to it? Nope. So, nope. Willie Lynch is a hypothetical plantation owner. There's a book called The Willie Lynch System, Breaking the Slave. I have it here. Uh, I have to go upstairs and look for it. But the premise is, if I turn my house niggers against my field niggers, they'll never come together and revolt. Oh. If I turn the light-skinned, fair-looking, pretty one against the ugly, dark one with the nappy hair, their dissension will stop them from visiting their wrath upon me. There's Spike Lee, School Days, Ooh. Good and Bad Hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The musical scene. That is a, that is a, a play on what is called the Willie Lynch syndrome. Wow. I mean, it goes back to what you said about, you know, about poor white people hating, hating black people, even though we're all fighting the 1%, even though we're all fighting the people in power. You ain't got no plantation. You live in a trailer, fam. <laughs> you live in a trailer and you eat fucking porridge and drink weak old milk. I am, I'm actually living better than you. 
but you think you better than me. Yeah. And you talk to me like you better than me. And you pass judgment on me openly with the backing of your cronies. So why would I help you? Why should I? But if we were walking down the street and you fell in a pothole and you were hanging out by one arm, you'd reach for me. Because nobody wants to die. So how fucking bad can I be? Yeah. You shit brown and you piss yellow and bleed red just like me. I think like Eli and I are incredibly lucky to have this platform, to have guests like such as yourself to come on and, and just real talk with us and, and explain and be patient and understand and compassionate to the fact that we're caring, but we still got yeah. a lot of catching up to do. But we still got a lot of education. I can't be mad at you, you know, for what you haven't been taught. For for sure. But I think you know that man? just to just to go back it. to like to how just to to ho a hopeful notion for the future. I think these conversations, like how could you how could you watch this episode and not walk away feeling passionate about this issue, feeling like uh that you want to make a change in your life, that you want, you know what I mean? How could you, you walk away with this? How could you walk away from watching this a racist? It doesn't like somebody who was watching comes to you and says something slick about my disposition, you know. So that's like the subtle, that's like the subtle beneath the surface one. Yeah. Right. It's a microaggression, but it's an extremely loud yeah. statement about oh, he just he just speaks so well. Or yeah. Who the fuck does this dude think he is? He sound who's he sounding all smart and what does he have his books prepared and what the, what did they do and who is he to tell us? Uh, How does oh, he, he happens to be an Ivy League scholar that uh, and I got to have a did it on his PhD own and being black. Say what? And I happen to have a fucking PhD in being black. Yeah, there you go. I know white people inside out. Uh, I don't the need, best I, of them and the motherfucking worst of them, and I can explain them to you. With Webster's Dictionary precision, fresh out of bed in the morning with no meal, <laughs> I live it. It is not a game for me. Mm. And that's the answer to that guy. That guy, if you're out there watching, fuck you in advance. <laughs> and you yeah. see me all over online. You know who my friends are. I'll be around. Come around, B. I'll beat the brakes off you, too. I think Eli and I should also both share your sentiment and tell this guy to fuck off. So fuck yeah, you. Fuck off. Yeah. But I mean, you see how you see this this energy that I have about it. Yeah. Like, that's a real thing, fam. Because that guy exists. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm to have relationships like this. We can walk away from here and talk about this and that from sneaking the hats and never uh -huh. touch this for another couple weeks. But I know you doing the knowledge in some way, shape, or form, and you're gonna when you're ready. Once you and your conscientious self feel like, all right, I've read enough for the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to take some notions to Rich and present some questions or some between the line stuff that I, I'm, I'm not quite catching certain things. You're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am. Me and the both of you have a great deal of associates that we deal with right now that think that this conversation is bullshit. Well, I want to touch on this. I've been, I've been, I keep, it keeps popping in my head and we keep moving into other things, but I want to talk about music and our music industry. Yeah. Actually, and, that was fresh for me too. And you know, how, how this has affected our music industry and how we can try to work. I mean, look, the, the, the most 
I don't want to say easiest, but the closest place that we can make changes in our industry, in our world, the people that we're interacting with every day to make music, to, to, to run our labels, to sell music, to play music for. So let, let's talk about how this, how we can now be more conscious about what's going on in our industry and be able to, to make, take steps day to day and, and, and get our colleagues to be thinking about and taking these steps as well. You know, man, that's, that's such a, that's such a slippery slope because I can sit here and say to guys like you, you're already doing it. You know, you're steeped in your vocabulary about the style of music you make and why you make it is steeped in a respect for the fact that the fact that it comes out of black culture, whether it's talking about tracks records in Chicago or just blues and rock and roll. You guys are the guys that are functioning in the right space, right? But I got a call from a buddy of mine who wanted to put me in front of a brand who was trying to do something. What can I do? What can we do? The brand and the person will remain unnamed. But we got on the phone and he's like, so, you know, what is it that we can do to help? And I'm like, what have you done so far? And he's like, nothing. And I was like, cool. That's the first thing you could do is admit that. Second of all, what are your, what do you, what do you try, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, you know, I was going to go to Detroit and take some pictures with this one and this one and that one. And we were going to start a campaign. I'm like, so what are you selling on the campaign? Are you selling your belief in black culture? Or are you, are you putting this video next to uh, a tool? in the company's cachet he was like well you know we're, we're an electronics company of course we would have to go to our supported artists and it would have to be surrounded around an instrument or a tool and i was like i gotta go yeah well well why why do you want to get off the phone i was like because that is the most racist shit i've heard directly since I started doing consultation for companies on this. How many black people are in your in your the team that you're doing this with? Oh, well, this is just me alone. Okay, well, how many black people are on your team? None. So you can't do nothing for me. You don't have no black relationships. What 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 are what is it that makes you think you could do something? You think putting up a meme or a hashtag or sitting yourself and your brand next to some prominent artists in our wheelhouse? is going to make you a representative of me? You crazy. I was like, well, you know, I don't understand why you want to, you know, you're being antagonistic. I'm like, you don't get to tell me that. You came that up sounds with like a question. German accent. <laughs> <laughs> Go for yours. You came over here asking me questions. What you want me to do? You want me to make you comfortable? You coming into an uncomfortable situation asking me what you can do and what you what you want a cup of tea you want a red carpet hmm. and the way that you presented the point is dumb as hell you ain't even got no black friends well it's also like if the point of you doing this is so you look good and so you can present your product in a new way that misses it completely the point of this shit is fucking black liberation and fucking black product. culture raising black culture fuck your products it's about the fact that you make skillions of dollars a year off of black culture and you would do yourself well, especially considering where your company is based, to take a step like this. 
Mm. And take a step like this with some gusto. And first of all, you can hire some black motherfuckers yeah. on your marketing team. You can hire some black people on your executive branch. And you can take some of these artists whose mass appeal that you use and give them a voice. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, you know, I'm not sure if the team is gonna be ready to deal with this. And I'm like, because you, you didn't you didn't have this isn't a conversation from your team. This is coming from you. So you're a lone wolf. So you want to do this just saw a bunch of memes on Instagram and it's like, oh, well, I have to do something so I don't get called out by so-and-so. Right. And then six months from now, you ain't going to say shit. And some racist shit is going to be going down and you're going to see one of your black friends that you asked to pat you on your back for posting all your memes. And you're not going to get active in the confrontation that's pinning your friend down and you've shown your true colors. Fairweather friends are a dime a dozen, man. I don't need no friends when the sun is out. I need friends when it's fucking freezing and I ain't got no food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all lives do matter, but only when everybody's got an equal play. Equal play. Yep. Right now, black lives matter. Mm-hmm. And the reason really that sums that up. I'm not granted the access to systems and opportunities that you are. That's why it matters. We have to remind you that we matter. You don't get to tell me that all lives matter. That will get you punched in the face. You also don't get to conflate all of your other causes on top of this as a convenient catch-all. LGBTQ lives matter too. But many white activists conflate them so that they don't have to do the double work. Fuck them too. You know, I've been struggling. I've been struggling with this actually. With um, you know, I've been doing a lot of climate activism, getting more and more involved with climate activism in the last few years. And obviously, you know, it's very, very important to continue to do this work as well. To continue to make sure that all of that work is not polluting. That we're that the planet is going to be here for for our children. Climate matters too. Absolutely. Like, how do you then? Is it is it like? Can I bring these two issues together? Do I have to look at them as like? I have to do my work in both spaces simultaneously. No. This kind of goes thing. You can't bring your math book to your science class. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> you can't put a CDJ on a turntable and expect to hear music. Yep. I might argue with that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, after the night we spent together in Frisco, I think I might have to take that one back too. <laughs> Well, that's that's oh, just a, that's a testament to the night we spent to oh oh actually we did do San Francisco. I was I was thinking Denver. We did both when you and me uh, went. Uh, with, we were we, some other thing there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the night. Uh, what was it? Uh, oh my, yeah, right at the maybe? um. Yep. Yep. Great Northern. That was good. Oh yeah, that's right. I Great Northern. <laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, I can't sit here and say you know. To put two manners of activism together is fucked up. I'm not saying that. I'm just painting a picture of how people who haven't suffered try to make their activism more convenient for themselves. And activism is not convenience. The fact that it's even being put in that language convolutes the whole effort. And it's contradictory to our needs. As much as we have to respect the fact that it's going to happen, and it's not that I won't hold an LGBTQ flag with my Black Lives Matter shirt on at a women's rally. I would, but 
I'm doing that with those three things being segregated in my mind and having extremely individual needs beyond the civil and human rights component. You know, I think there's like there's these important points where where these issues can touch, right? Like here's a great example, like the Black Tribe, Black Trans Lives Matter movement that's come out of Black Lives Matter. I mean, this is a, a group that's so at risk, you know, and like to be able to now have advocates that can join these two movements together, that's very powerful. That's 100%. very powerful. And but that's one one touching point, you know, and that doesn't mean that the work for trans rights and for black black lives right. doesn't have to continue just as strong. Bingo. Yeah. It's that individualized work that has to be given the credence it deserves after that rally. Because there's a great deal of people who will leave that rally thinking that they are one. They're only one in the ask for respect and institutional understanding and human compassion. But beyond that, the needs become pretty segregated. You know what I'm saying? In terms of so many levels of, of what's different in between those things. And yeah, great. Let's get two causes heard in one causes worth of time. Hell yeah. But let's acknowledge that that's what we're doing and acknowledge the power structure of each side of the activism leadership and enable them to leave that feeling like they have new allies rather than they're being absorbed into another form of activism. It's all nuance. It's all nuances I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But it's these nuances slipping over people's heads and going over people's ears is what's got us in this situation that well, we're in. You know, it's easy to say, and it's like a double-edged sword, right? It's easy to say we're all in this together, so let's all fight together. And yes, on some level, we are all fighting for the same liberation and, and equality, but you can't go into it colorblind and just say, well, yeah, of course, well, we're all the same. So we fight for the same thing. No. Or orientation we blind. We all, we all, we all have to, to acknowledge the differences and use that acknowledgement to then be able to be conscious of the fight that we're involved in. Yeah. And spend your time over there, spend your energy over there with them. But when you come over here, when you do come over here, I want to see you sweating on my behalf the way I see you sweating on their behalf. Don't, this ain't just a photo op, fam. You got to get some dirt under your nails. Otherwise, you're a voyeur. And there's nothing wrong with voyeurism, but let's call it what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of voyeurs getting away with the activist tag because on social networks, everybody is somebody. And voyeurism is the name of the game with social media, man. It's the new world, right? Yep. It's the new normal. It's how, it's how we get down. So, you know, there's... I'm so thankful to be able to talk about this and not be met with dissonance on the other end of it because I'm not at all trying to pocket white activists that conflate the two into some generalized group. I'm trying to, I'm in a generalized group that's trying to get out from under that same fucking heel. Mm -hmm. See what I mean? But, you know, when you dissect a frog, you got to know the fucking difference between the heart and the liver, fam. I, I propose a weekly uh, Medina-ism on schmoozing. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's funny you should say that. Um, <laughs> part of what I've been trying to do with my live stream presentations is... You should probably talk about that, voice. too. 
Yeah, can I let's just rewind a second? We we this was on our list to talk about. Oh, um, we wanted to talk about a bunch hour of and 55 minutes. <laughs> but Rich to me is one of the foremost um leaders of DJs moving into Twitch. Yep. And using Twitch as a real platform during this kind of quarantine to become a an expression for us as DJs. So I'd love to kind of hear about your your experience with that and what you're trying to accomplish and have accomplished. Yeah, and Rich, you you were saying you have seven streams, seven separate streams, shows. Yeah, shows. So I have. I'm going to answer you, Eli. But to answer that, I have Jump and Funk, yes. which is my Afrobeat party, Home, which is basically like my tribute to the Paradise Garage. We've been doing that at Come On Everybody for going on eight years now. Uh-huh. Um, Little Ricky's Rib Shack from APT. You guys know about the cruises we do and what that party meant for me. Um, so we do those three events as our branded events and we kind of do them as like a meal in a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll be on the air for five hours and the first two hours we're chilling, watching a flick. Maybe I'm playing a, a music bed under it. Maybe we're watching the actual film. We're flying our our viewers in, and they're in their kitchens cooking, having lunch, and then the last three hours is a party, and we party. So it keeps the community, you know, tangible and tactile with each other. But then beyond that, I do a show called Monday Meditation, which is basically me reading spiritual readings and yogi philosophy. Oh, dope! Uh, it's a chance for me to work on my voiceover reel, and you know, I get all these compliments on my voice all the time. So it's a way for me to use it in a way that's really constructive and, and helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do another show called The Art Gallery, which is me interviewing artists whose art is in my home for an hour. Uh, last week, I did uh, the the guy over my shoulder here. I did uh, Upendo last week. This coming week is uh, Elon Paz, who made the Dustin Grooves book and did this this beautiful poster behind me. And um, yeah, Monday Meditations, uh, the art gallery and Bangers. Bangers is me picking five, seven inch records out of my collection and just telling you why these records are so important to me and why I would play them for you and explaining the artist or the producer or where it was sampled or why it means a lot to me. I got this record from my mom in 1980 whatever whatever so trying to diversify the programming so that it's not just me with some cameras aimed at me dj yeah you know and uh you know with regard to quarantine and the whole live streaming thing you know i'm blessed to say that i'm very very good friends with d nice and i watched d nice capture lightning in a bottle oh my goodness right we all did and when that happened, I was like, that's never going to happen again. Everybody's about to flood that market, but he's the only one of us who is going to capture lightning in a bottle. Number one, because of his disposition and the reasons he stated for doing it once he got there. And, you know, people forget that, you know, D-Nice was 17 when he produced Self-Destruction. He was 18 when he did Call Me D-Nice. He was in Boogie Down Productions from 16 to 20. He put his own record out. It didn't do that well. He had some problems with the industry. 
and he became a web developer for the major labels. Then he sent himself to photography school, became one of the most prominent photographers of our generation. Then he stepped back into the DJ world and he stepped back into the DJ world with respect and reverence, the respect and reverence for what he accomplished already and him being respectful and coming to a shoebox room like APT and asking me how I keep all these girls in this room and then going to One Oak and listening to whoever is the hot top 100 guy and asking him all the right questions about what the fuck he's doing. So why would guys like us not give Derek an opportunity to present himself? He's the motherfucking TR-808 and he's respectful. And because of all of his wherewithal and all of his life experience, he parlayed that into becoming the first DJ to ever be employed by the White House. Wow. He was Barack Obama's DJ for two terms. Do you understand the reach and gusto that that gives him next to his already outrageous industry cachet? So who's better for that job than right. D-Nice, right? He set himself up for this over the last 35 years to fall into a window that's one third of an actual window and the camera in his face and him playing music and saying, man, this is so scary out here. And you know, I just feel like people need music. You know, people are upset. I just want to calm people. I just want to calm people. And he said that for four hours at his highest energy. And then hour nine, his energy is even higher and he's calling out celebrities and his homeboy from the block that he hasn't talked to in 20 years. And this one and that one with who knows how many thousand people watching. And he went he from 200,000 followers yeah. to 2 million followers in 48 hours. And I was like, there is, that road is closed. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lightning bolt. And this guy, not only was it a lightning bolt, but what a guy for the job, man his political chops, his musical chops, his social chops, his 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 physical durability and endurance. All of that shit came to bear. And he's made the absolute most of it. And then I'm watching everybody else do it. And I'm like, well, I love what this guy does or what this girl does. Let me check it. And they got the phone next to the studio monitor. It sounds crazy. They're they're doing this, yeah. Yo, <laughs> you know, like when you ever go to the club, you go to the club to hear your favorite DJ and stare at him all night. Uh, well, you know, I don't, but I know that plenty of people do that to me. <laughs> a lot of people do, yeah. A lot they're of people just staring, standing there, <laughs> chilling, just just chilling there. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot more to a solid musical presentation than all eyes on me. Yeah, and I was like, you know. I don't feel like I can be as effective as I want to be playing in that format. So I'm going to sit back. And I sat back for a month and I didn't do anything. And then my production partner, Mark Hines, and another buddy of mine, Greg Battle, just started probing me. He's like, what are you going to do, man? You know what? Why are you being quiet? All you guys are out there. Everybody you rock with is out there putting themselves out there like, you know, they all respect you. you. Your work is good. Why don't you do it? I'm like, well, it sounds like shit. And I'm not interested in that. I'm not going to forsake all the hard work I've done as an audiophile 
and the reputation that I have for the effort I put into my tech when I work and shit on it through a social network. You know, it was no different than when Serato came out. I was like, man, have fun, man. My records ain't bothering me. I'm good. Nothing against you. Rock out with your cock out. I'm, I'm good with these records. I ain't tripping. You know, it was the same disposition. And then my partner was like, what if I told you that we can set you up so that you can have more than one camera angle, full stereo audio quality, and no constrictions from a network? I was like, put me in, coach. And they started drilling me on Twitch and uh, you know StreamYard and Restream.io and Radio.co and all the you know we signed up for the free trial and ran the test on every single one of them under the sun, and we settled on something that we like, and then we did the same thing with the networks that are presenting those streams. So we went through Facebook, we went through Instagram, we went through uh, Twitter, LinkedIn whatever random streaming sites were available prior to everything becoming popular. We ran this shit tail to stout. My partner is a fucking summa cum laude computer programming guy. So I'm lucky I get this recon coming from these guys that are steeped in computers, just dumped in my lap all the time. And they treat me like a good student. So I get to learn it fast. And when we came across Twitch and we started looking at the, uh, the back end of it, we were like, yo, this is a real monetization system. If we log the hours that they request, we'll be an affiliate in no time. And oh shit, look at this. They have a fast track to partner. We could get there in 30 days if we put the hours in. So for the month of March, we banged out, you know, three hour shows per day, practicing in front of people, getting our shit together, figuring out how these things go together and I brought my girls who do the door for me at my parties to be the chat moderators. I got Greg and Mark handling my tech. I can focus on the music. And they're all in New York, New Jersey, Maryland. None of us are in the same building when we do these broadcasts. But because of the beauty of Zoom and Zoom's perspective in terms of being a basic meeting place combined with the fact that Zoom is the way that most gamers communicate with each other when they're on Twitch, it was baked in. So we then attacked, not only used Zoom for that, but we also made it so that they could hit another Zoom link and jump into our Zoom, which was where our cameras and our presentation exist. And you too can be a part of the screen. And that was the, if there was anything revolutionary that we did in my mind, that was the thing, was bringing the humanity to it, taking the spotlight off of me. Don't stare at me. Go talk to that girl you want to talk to. Go get that phone number. Go dance in the dark corner. Dance like nobody's looking. But know that we might swing the camera at you when we see you get in your bag. And sure enough, that very first night, you know, we had 50 people trying to get in that Zoom. And 35 of them are professional dancers. Oh, wow. Lit twitch the fuck up that night. Lightning in a bottle in a smaller degree than what Derek did, but the similar 
disposition about lightning in a bottle. And, you know, it's funny because when we first started it, I was trying to give the sauce away. I was trying to tell everybody and everybody that I spoke to was like, nah, man, it's just too much, man, too much tech. And uh, I could do the same thing on IG. And now they want the sauce. But the problem with I that is now you got to see me at Best Buy in the fall for $59.99. <laughs> but I mean, I think like the key to this that you talk about is that production, that production team that's like, that's, yeah. that's down to be creative with you and that does all that production work. Yeah, I mean, no man is an island, man. Doing, the, doing this, this talk show, although our producer seems to have ghosted right now, but usually, usually he's super, super on it and makes sure everything go, goes that needs to happen. Um, but you know, that's like the production team and all this, that's like, what's what I think is kind of forgotten. Yeah. Like, DJ's trying to transition over to doing this live thing is is really hard because if you have to do it all yourself, you still have to play records. Yeah, so that's the, that's the issue that a lot of DJs come across, right? So you're being yeah. the you're being the artist, you're being the engineer, you're being the key grip, you're being the gaffer, you're being the fucking program director all at once. How good can you be doing ten things at once? Right, but when you go to your regular old world gig. And your promoter puts you in your best state of mind with the right food and gives you all your little shit that's tied to your rider that makes you feel like somebody. By the time you step in the booth, you got gusto, you focused, you're ready to get busy. And all you got to do is m- display your relationship with those machines and your music. And everybody looks like a genius. The venue looks great. You look great. The promoter looks great. And five fingers make a hand. Dope. So you guys in a few months will do it all over again. We took that vocabulary and sat it down on top of me at home. You know, I have handlers. Yep. Um, and it's it's the 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 gauntlet, the tech gauntlet put foot in my ass. Like, you know, talk about being fucking humbled, you know, being a pretty bookish guy and things kind of coming easy to you. I'm sure you guys can relate to that. Yeah. And then you come across some shit where you like uh say that again <laughs> you know very challenging and try trying to like we have to we're trying yeah. to do our back-to-back sets too so yeah. there's this whole other level like we we still we still have been unable to find the perfect way to do it you know you have so, to sacrifice something we can open up that, that, that cauldron outside of this meeting and we can yeah. have a conversation no problem That'd be great yeah we'll, we'll talk about that for sure but yeah i think it was uh you know applying those production protocols put me in a position to look like a broadcast station Mm-hmm. not a DJ trying to get attention from his fans. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with the other side. I'm not passing judgment on it. I'm just drawing the, the, the delineating line between the two. There's production vocab, and there's just, yo, I'm going live. I'm going to plug in. Check me out. You know, if they come, they come. And whoever comes, praise God. I'm just going to have my fun. And whoever's with me is going to have fun. And I'm going to do this and do that. And then we're going to be out. There's a beautiful space. There's a lot to that. Spontaneity is a beautiful thing. Can be a parent with a car note and a mortgage and a lifestyle that I've come to love. I need to be monetizing Mm -hmm. and freestyling like that. Ain't going to show me no guap. And if I ain't got no guap, the man is coming to take my shit from me. And I went through evictions and, you know, raggedy homes and shit like that as a child. And I'm not going back there. So I'm going to go through this gauntlet 
and take these lumps and learn what I got to learn and be as humble as I got to be so that when outside is cool again, not only can I hopefully go back to the world as I knew it, but once I get there, I can broadcast from there yeah. like a professional. Mm-hmm. And motherfuckers think they, oh, I live in Texas and he's having this party in Brooklyn. I know outside is cool again. I've been rocking with him on Twitch for the last four months and I don't know when I'm ever going to get to Brooklyn. But now I don't have to worry about it because mm-hmm. as long as I hit that Zoom link and as long as I check his schedule, I can still participate. So I wanted to ensure that we were playing chess and not checkers. And praise God, my partners are chess guys. And they kicked my ass, you know, in the last few months, straight up and down, man. The, this, the amount of things that I've learned, you know, I can I can take apart and rebuild a laptop, tail the snout. Now, I couldn't do that three months ago. Oof. You know, I could engineer a studio session for a vocalist or a cellist or a timpani player or whatever with the right decorum and the right vocabulary and the right mic on him or her. I couldn't do that three months ago. I could make the hell out of some beats and record the hell out of some vocals and have a heady studio dialogue with a producer and finish something. But, you know, I wasn't rounded off. I couldn't go out in the field as an individual agent and bang out those protocols without thinking. Now I can walk into somebody's crib, they can show me a brand new laptop a Go Mixer, a Go li- a Go Mixer Pro, or a Go Live Stream, or want to go through an audio interface like an Apollo 8, and I can set them up. If they want to broadcast through a website like this versus broadcasting through a platform like a streaming platform, I know the difference between those two and why loopback is a problem or, or you know an element that has to be in- applied. Whereas in the beginning, I was just a passenger in this big old pretty ass car that my partners came and picked me up in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like that. I like that expression, rounding off, because I think that's like what these. I think that's how Eli and I really benefit from these conversations, especially when it comes to race and, um, yeah. you know, what's going on. Because I feel, I feel like, I feel like these conversations help me walk away rounded off, and I and I should hope that our listeners do as well. And. And I and think maybe that's progress. Maybe that's progress. Up for, that is progress. For, for that a generation. is progress. And you should not shortchange yourself. As a white man, you should not shortchange yourself on the amount of activism that you have put on the table already and the amount of energy that you have exuded in respect to mm. black culture prior to any of this shit. Thank you, Richard. I'm not the motherfucker that's here to take that away from you. Mm. If I can enhance your game, if I can get put a right hook in your boxing that don't exist prior to meeting me, mm-hmm. that's just good coaching. Yep. You was already winning fights. You didn't even have a right hook. <laughs> right? Three weeks in the gym, two hours a day, Mall five jabs. days a week. Small jabs, coach. <laughs> right. But after that three weeks, you're going to start hurting people to the body in a whole other way. Yep. You're going you're gonna to be, you're going to take on less damage. You know, you're going to yep. apply more damage, exerting yourself with no more power than you're already throwing. Because, right, getting beaten, winning a fight is not about power, about accuracy and touching them. You know, 10 rounds of tap, 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 tap. That eye is closed. (laughs) You're throwing 5% power. Tap him enough, touch him enough. He can't see. Then the hook comes. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's That's what I just got. I just got this ill fighting boot camp. Mm 
You know, now I got Muay Thai in my shit. I didn't. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't do. I couldn't. Knees and elbows, and I could keep a Muay Thai guy at bay before because I'm tall. <laughs> now I can throw knees and elbows with the proper protocols, and you know, do it in a way that I don't expose myself to damage as yeah, a yeah. studio engineer. So it's been amazing uh, in in that sense, and there's still you know. What's your, what's your Twitch? Uh, what's your Twitch handle? My Twitch handle is twitch.tv slash Rich Medina Music. Twitch.tv slash Rich Medina Music. Yeah, let's get that. Maybe put that up on the screen. We can yep. That's, get your uh, followers. It's get great. Followers I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Like I saw what you were doing, and that's why it's exciting to talk about it. And I'd love to pick your brain, get some insight on how we can do a better job. For sure. Yeah, it's been humbling, man, you know, because, you know, I, to have my my peers and friends like yourself to pat us on the back and say, hey, man, you know, the way you guys are going about it is really commendable. It's a huge battery in our back. Yeah. And to have the fans and the people that have been patronizing us to say, you know, first of all, this experience is better than the IG experience. The IG experience is very static and it's mm-hmm. you know, so fluid. And I can actually engage beyond the chat should i choose that's like a beautiful option for me as a listener and i appreciate that so now you know the next time we're coming to the table we're coming to the table fully encouraged i'm being encouraged by my peers either by them saying i'm doing a good job or by them biting that's happening a lot too and i'm not saying we're the first people to ever broadcast in the way we do it any anybody that broadcasts the way we do is a bite but i'm saying for a fact there are flat out bites of our this our presentation happening real time you know with friends and and peers and you know imitation is a sincerest form of flattery it's been happening to me my entire career as soon as you figure out what i just did i done did three more things anyway you know what (laughs) there you go there you go (laughs) There you go. That's his '90s Charlie, anyway, man. That's a jerk, son. '90s Charlie. <laughs> but you know, I've, I've seen you guys' presentation, and it's it's solid. You know, I, I mean, you guys always are thorough and very erudite in how you go about doing your thing. You know, I've, I've always thought that I can I can return fire and say, yeah, I see what you're doing, and I see. The goals that you're aimed at in terms of being able to connect yourselves in in this space and and present what you do i mean even with stretch and bob and what they're doing on on ig it's just ig but it's fucking stretch and bob man yeah yeah you know what i mean i'll take that on ig because it's they're, predominantly talk and them shooting the shit and being crazy and that's podcast what it's, so that's dope. What it's all about yeah 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 i just want to listen to them Hanging out. Yeah. And, you know, to come on a platform like yours and you guys got Johnny and, you know, Johnny Mac and, and your team that's that's holding you down. You know, that's that's not hobbyist shit, man. That's that's Shout out to the team. Shit. That's that's yep. stepping to the table, knowing that you can't do it your fucking self. So you're already winning. Yep. We wouldn't even have we would have like, you know, this is something we've wanted to do for years is have like more of a kind of podcast talk show format. Mm-hmm. To talk to, yeah. to talk to to talk to people, talk about music, talk about life, whatever. And both of you guys and, are fucking fountains of information. I've sat down and had lengthy exchanges. 
both of y'all. We were even hesitant to start doing that. You know, like mm -hmm. when, when this was presented to us, we're like, well, there's like, you know, how are we going to pull this off? Like, this is a lot to think about having a, a talk show. Yeah. But, you know, because, you know, we have this great team that was presented. Yeah. Shout out to John, yeah, yeah, Johnny yeah. Mack, man. He really, he really pushed us out the door. Yeah. Pushed us out the, you know, everybody out at Lost Resort put this together. It's yep. like, amen. I think it's great. And the way you guys play off each other, the way you guys share information, the way you guys, if somebody needs to be corrected, the decorum that you do it with, you know, it's like a, what's that old saying in television? You know, when, uh, when, when we're, when we're in front of the crowd, everybody is Superman. You want to argue, you want to fight. We do that in private. Yeah. Everybody's the absolute best when we are in front of our audience because they don't need to see all that. You don't see Phil Jackson and Kobe beefing on the sideline. That's halftime. <laughs> right. Yes. Except for reality TV. In which <laughs> it's only <laughs> all that only yeah. sideline. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Well, yeah. I mean, full on that. Thanks you so much, Rich. I think we've got this is our longest show yet. Two hours twenty minutes. Oh, <laughs> that is another record. Right. Earliest, earliest in and longest. Yeah, earliest to wow. show up and long and longest in, man. Well, I pray that's a good thing. Yo, come on, man. I pray that's we a good thing. And I, I think my offer stands. Well, I got to talk to the team, but Medina-isms, man. Yeah. Well, we need him at least <laughs> once a month. <laughs> yep. I, I'll pop through whenever you guys call me. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> you guys call me. It's an honor to be here. Uh, the line of questioning, I, I, mean, I have to say, in, in closing on topic, you know, I've been interviewed and questioned about the topic of race relations and culture and appropriation and all of that for eons. And, um, you know, I think that, that you guys approach is super healthy and um, rooted in the right things. So, you know, again, I, I can't say it enough. And I say this again, I such a shame that we have to keep referring to these color line points, but I say it to all of my conscientious white friends, do not shortchange the work that you have put in and don't bring that work to the next table expecting anyone to put a star on it like it's homework just come to the table knowing you've done the work you know your vocabulary is going to put you in a position where you're going to present to everyone that you know that you're a guest at the table just that just that little thing alone opens a chasm of love and appreciation and data that you can benefit from on topic you know what i mean so keep drinking whatever kool-aid y'all drinking man keep drinking it i want some you know and uh hats off man it's been a real Thank honor you. to be here with y'all today Respect thanks Rich. really appreciate you and can't wait to uh to see you in real life man yes Hope please yes, same here man again soon church hugs all day yes <laughs> no pelvis you know the church hug. No pelvis <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, Sister Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rich. Rich. Much love. Awesome. Bless up, gents. Thank you. For Fantastic. No really doubt. appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Wow. wow. Yeah. Oof. Um. So yeah, upcoming just, guests. I got, got the. I got week. the chills yeah. this this week. Yeah, this is a great one. I mean, Rich and is the talk best. about talk about encourage encourage coming to it encouraged. Yeah. Just that's some encouragement, man. He's, he's, yeah, he's great. He's the um, and uh, definitely an honor to have him on here. And we got, I think we should do a part two. We can, t I really want to talk more about music and like black music culture. Cause he's also a, an expert on that. So let's get oh, into yeah. that too. Yeah. But coming I mean, up, for we got another, another act, another 
dance music, up and coming artist who's a major activist as well. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the work she's doing, both musically and also politically. Ash Lauren. Um, then we have Anane Vega, who is yes, a powerhouse Anane. in her own right. That's um, awesome. And then Marisa Stevens from Liaison Artists, one of the owners of the longest running, biggest independent uh, electronic music DJ agency in the US. Yes. She's bringing along a guest as well with her. And then finally, closing off July, well, we got five this month, huh? Five episodes in July. FSQ, Funk Style Quality, Chuck the Funk. And we're putting out their album on Soul Club Records this month. Yep. And they have some star-studded guests they're working on locking in as well. For sure. And, and Chuck Fishman is our bridge to all things Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton. There's going to be a lot of P-Funk talk on that one. Yes. That's going to be great. Yes. And uh, just for people that are still really you know, feeling rich and and his vibe um he's got a ted talk uh when ted went to philadelphia uh that's really good and uh we'll put the um that list of books that syllabus so you yeah. guys do your homework do your book get your book report done um, <laughs> and we can check out these titles and and some more links to some of the stuff he's doing in the, in the academic circles um he's also got a podcast on uh uh that you can subscribe to as well so I mean, there's a lot. He's a man of many hats. No, yeah. I mean, let's, uh, right. should we bring in our, our final AKA vinyl thoughts, vinyl, so AKA to move on to vinyl thoughts. Um, I mean, we were going to talk a lot more about Philadelphia and Philadelphia music. So maybe that's what the part two of the, of this episode yeah. will be. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, um, we are going to close it out with a cut from none other than King Brit on Ovum records, a Philly house and techno label. Um, this one is Supernatural featuring Ursula Rucker um, under the alias Firefly. Um, you want to talk about King Brit a little bit? Yeah, I mean, King. we need to get King on the show too. King is another, another uh, I mean, OG of Philly dance music. He was the, the, the DJ for Diggable Planets, one of my favorite hip-hop groups. Yes, he was. Um, and producer as Silk 130. Yeah. Producer of Silk 130, he founded Ovum Records with Josh, Josh Wink um, and went on to kind of do more experimental Afro, Afro-futurist mu- movement as Flossed and Paradigm on, That's um, right. on, what's it called, Hyperdub Records, one of the, the kind of best Afro-futurist labels. Um, and he's uh, um, uh, a teacher. Of, he's now, yeah, he's now a, a professor, professor of, in, of, uh, at, 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 I don't yeah. know what university, but in, in San Diego. San, yeah, maybe one um, of the UCs or... And uh, yeah, so I've, we need to get him as a guest. I'd love to talk King, to him more about his idea. You, UCSD. On. And he's, um, um, he's done a couple. We've had him do some great DJ sets over the years. I think the first time we booked him it, to do something was when we did the Yo 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 uh, 90s rave jam in uh, London. Remember that? Oh, yeah. No, he, we played with him in Boston at, was it at Rise or was it at, booked him at Redline? Was that the we first time? We played with, with, Red jo- with Josh at, at Rise. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, man. There's memories. Um, yeah. Man. All right. I'm switching cameras. Yeah, so, I love yeah, you guys. You keep talking about uh, about King while I, I mean, this thing I don't, I don't. Well, let's That's get it. King on the show. He's dope. Let's get him on the show. And Peace out, everybody. Important. I'm going to hit this one. Yeah. Ooh, that's a nice angle this week. We'll see you all next week for Ash Lauren. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody who stayed on for the whole show, big thanks for you for tuning in for that long. But... 
it was a uh, it was an honor. It was an honor being here with Rich, and it's an honor being here with all of you. Peace. Human souls, immortal creation. I breeze through centuries, span foreign lands, transcend 
as my journey nears its end. Still swimming in rapture's reaction, I approach the shores of satisfaction. <laughs> satisfaction. Satisfaction is near, satisfaction is. 